Heavy Cardboard, episode 146, part two, Clinic Deluxe. Coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts and Denver, Colorado. Welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we talk medium and heavy strategy board games, war games, 18xx, and other related topics in the board gaming hobby. We're your hosts. I'm Edward. And I'm JT. Welcome back, good sir. <laughs> Thanks. Good to be here again. Yeah, uh, this was totally unexpected. (laughs) So if you're listening to this, I mentioned that this is part two. And the reason for that is come to find out, uh, JT and I like to talk about board games a lot. A lot. And so when we sat down to record last week, uh, it ended up being like three hours of you and me talking about what we've been playing, what we've acquired, and and what we're looking forward to playing and all that. And that somehow, some way, lasted three hours. And at that point, we were like, uh, right, we haven't even gotten to clinic. We probably ought to cut it here. How about we come back next week and do clinic fresh? And you were like, yeah, I'm down for that. So here we are. So if you didn't listen to part one, uh, I would recommend going and checking that out. I think it was a really good discussion. Three hours of board games and nuclear um, delivery systems. <laughs> yeah, those are uh, two topics that always go together very well. Uh, apparently they do when you're on the show, at least. So yes. So if either of those two things interest you, I recommend going and listen to part one. If not... What are you doing here? Seriously, just go. Anyway, I'm kidding. On a serious note, though, uh, tonight we're just going to go straight. We're going to roll straight into Clinic Deluxe. And yeah, so if you want a little context as far as uh, JT's background and so on and so forth, then yeah, go listen to part one. If not, if JT, you are ready, sir, for the featured review. I certainly am. All right, so let's get into it. So tonight's review, we're going to talk Clinic Deluxe, published in 2019, although originally published in the original edition 2014, designed by the Albin Viard and artwork by the Ian O'Toole, published by Albin's in-house publishing studio, AV Studio Games, plays one to four players, It says in 60 to 150 minutes, as far as availability and cost, it's actually available from AV Studio Games directly for 59 euros. I assume that's plus shipping wherever you may be in the world. He ships, I believe it's from France. That's where he's out of. So that would make sense. And as far as plays and player accounts that we've experienced, how about you, JT? I have played this a number of times at one, two, three, and four players. Excellent. And I have played it at all player counts. However, you probably have surpassed me in number of plays. So I think I have, including the original edition, probably six or seven plays total. Only once at solo, though. How about you? So I've played uh, multiplayer games. I think I am up to 11, although I don't track my plays. So that's that is purely a guess. And then I played it solo, I think now six times, thanks to the pandemic. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, silver linings, right? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, so why don't you uh, give folks a little bit of background on the game, a little context? 
So clinic, I've heard classified as a logistics game, uh, but I consider it more of a business simulation in a box than a pure logistics game. Although I think logistics is always a part of your business simulations. And in the vein of other business simulations like Food Chain Magnate, you begin clinic with just the basics of a business. In this case, a three-room building on an otherwise empty plot of land represented by a grid on your player board. On each game turn, you have to carefully plan your actions to first construct new buildings, treatment options, uh, parking lots, gardens, entrances, helipads, and other structures that will help expand your clinic. Uh, Second, you need to hire doctors, nurses, orderlies, and other employees to help run your clinic. And finally, you have to attract patients from the patient pool. Then move them into your pre-admissions area where they await an available doctor or until the price is right to treat them. And finally, to the treatment room. <laughs> we'll get to that. That later. got dark really quick, didn't it? Like, well, is it worth my while to treat you? Sorry, I digress, or you digress. Go ahead. I, yeah, like I said, we'll get into that later. That's a big part of the game. But once you get them finally to your treatment room, you can generate revenue by treating them and sending them home, and most importantly, having them take their parked car with them. Um, Although this sounds simple, the logistics of making sure that you have the right services, the right doctor, the right nurse, all together at the right time and in the right place in your clinic is uh, the challenge of clinic to maximize your profits and turn your little plot of land into a thriving business. Well, I think that's a pretty good uh, synopsis. So let's go ahead and start out with uh, what... I and we consider the five factors that give the game its weight, starting off with the complexity or the rules overhead, the rule, the, the mechanical complexity in the game. So I would characterize the rule sets here as somewhere between medium and heavy, probably more towards the heavy end, simply because of the number uh, of strange rules that you have to remember when you're placing things geometrically on the board. Uh, if you're looking at this from the, the war game standpoint, which if you know my background, that's the kind of rule books that I usually spend my time in. Uh, this would be a, a fairly simple rule set. But I think on the Euro scale, this this probably moves into the heavy area just by virtue of the number of different little exceptions and rules that you have to remember when you're placing all of the different uh, modules on your board. Yeah, and the fact that it's a 3D grid that on a on a 2D piese of paper, right? Or a, t- a 2D I shouldn't say piece of paper, I'm thinking the original edition, but the uh the the board, your player board, that in and of itself for me just puts it already higher than your average bear just because I I struggle very very well, I struggle a lot with spatial aspects of it, but the fact that yes, some rooms can only you can only have one of these per floor, but then it must be adjacent to this other room, and that can be on a different floor though, and so that adjacency can be on different floors as long as it's directly above or below or orthogonally adjacent on the same floor. All those little gotchas, those little MacGuffins or those little pieces of chrome there really do make it mechanically fiddly, I think is a good way to put that. And it it, it just it amps up how difficult it is to really understand what it is that you're trying to do here. Exactly. And, and I, I'll mention this later. I have not had a single game uh, where we've played with new players or even players with a game or two of experience where at one point in the game, somebody doesn't say you can't put that there. 
And it's just a, a difficult thing to remember all the rules, even as they are laid out graphically on the on the both the player board and on the main board. Uh, it's hard to remember when you are trying to put things together so that they work as far as the game is concerned, but then also obey all of these rules. And you ran through a bunch of the rules already for <laughs> for placing these different uh, the different modules. And keep in mind, there's I think 10, 12 different modules and each one has its own set of rules. So that is a lot of overhead. It really is. And not only that, but it's icon and information dense. Like I think Ian, and, and we're going to talk about this uh, quite in depth, I think when we get to the graphic design aspect, but there's a lot of icons in this game. And there's also just a lot of information in a relatively small space. Like the, the main board in this game physically has a small footprint. And I think that's important or that's, that was done because the player boards, uh, as you add more floors, et cetera, et cetera, they just get kind of big. And so it becomes a bit, not, not a huge table hog, but it, the footprint of this game is rather large when you include the player tableau. So therefore those two made the game, the main game board a little bit smaller than what you would consider a standard game board size, I would say. And so therefore, there is a ton of information in a not really big space, and that just adds to the information overload at first. And so, yeah, I agree that the the level of complexity here from the rules, the little uh, gotchas in there, as well as just the sheer overwhelming amount of information that you're trying to digest, I think is it definitely puts this in the the mid to heavy range as far as complexity. I'll just mention that the rules are not heavy only with respect to the placing the different modules, but the other two types of moves you can make in this game, which are hiring doctors and hire and, and trying to attract patients, also have their own sets of rules that are a little bit tricky. Uh, and they're not, uh, I think, uh, during the placement phase where they're tricky, but instead in how you, you bring those patients together and the doctors together, because there's rules for what counts as movement. Movement is a negative uh, a negative modifier in this game. So if you attract, if it requires too much movement of patients and doctors to get them in the right place, uh, you can imagine this is a delay in the hospital. People get angry. Uh, you lose some of your popularity points. And just knowing what moves cost you movement points, what moves don't cost you movement points. Um, and then when you get everybody in the treatment room together, lining up doctors, nurses, the special requirements of certain rooms, um, it, it can be a little bit overwhelming, but as we'll talk about, the iconography really helps keep all of that straight during gameplay. I still, after 10 plays, will still look at their iconography just to make sure that I'm doing it right. Yeah. So so bottom line here, uh, higher than your average, uh, average bear. So this would definitely be probably the level of a couple of Rococos. And that's an ongoing joke we have here on the show that Rococo is the definitive midweight Euro. So if that's the case, then this is probably twice that, uh, I would say thereabouts. So um, needless to say, it's definitely higher on the complexity scale as far as our rules overhead. What about, uh, when we get into the second factor that contributes to a game's weight, the planning aspect, or basically, you know, thinking ahead and organizing, you know, what you're, what you need to do to be able to do what it is you're trying to do in IE score points or popularity points in this case. So this game probably more than any game that I have played on the Euro side requires some real planning and forethought. Uh, if you don't go into this game with a plan of some sort, 
every turn you're going to say what I've already mentioned. Why did I put that there? (laughs) (laughs) And I still do it. And the the most successful games I've had are where I have some sort of a plan going into the game, even before the game starts as to how I want to arrange my modules uh, on my player board. And then during the game, being able to adapt that plan as things get taken and and patients are available and different treatment options are going to be more lucrative. But uh, I think that the, the level of planning in this game has to start even before the game begins for me. Uh, and then as the game goes, you have to have that plan in mind and be building on it and adjusting it in a way that doesn't completely ruin your plan in order to be successful. Because this isn't a totally, you know, head down type game, a, a multiplayer solitaire. There very much is uh, interaction out there on the community board as far as, you know, what doctors are available and what patients are available and attracting them to your to your clinic. And things don't, aren't always going to go exactly perfectly how you want them to go. So that, you know, tactical meets strategic. Yes, come into it with a plan, but also be able to have the flexibility as well as the the ability to stick to the plan but adjust as need be right and and there's another aspect of the planning that i think is important is you want to time your payments um time your treatment of patients so that it happens later in the game if if you don't have a good plan what you end up doing is treating low revenue patients every round instead of building a clinic and acquiring patients and doctors so that in that fifth and sixth round, when you really want to be spending your money on points, um, you'll have those available. And and so that makes sense in context. I didn't really explain this rule, but you get money into your clinic when you treat patients. The, the severity of the patient's illness is going to determine how much money you're going to make from treating them. And then with that money, you have the option of first paying all of your expenses on your hospital, uh, paying your doctor's salaries, and then whatever you have left over, you can buy points with. So you're, you're using the revenue that you make to buy these popularity points. Um, and you really want to be buying those popularity points later in the game as opposed to earlier. So you have to plan ahead and say, I'm taking this patient and this doctor in round one because I want to be able to treat this patient with this doctor and a nurse or two in round three or four. And not only that, but one thing that JT uh, glossed over here that I think is a really, really big deal, and he he knows this as well, is the point or the money that you make in a given round, that's what you have to A, pay your expenses, but also B, you can only buy those those points, those victory points with the money that you made left over this round. So you can't just keep accumulating money and then all of a sudden in the last round, you bleh, here's all my victory points. No, no, doesn't work that way because obviously you need some amount of liquidity going into the next round based on what it is that you're trying to do. Oh, I need to be able to hire doctors or, oh, I need to be able to, you know, hire this many nurses or orderlies or whatever it is that you have in mind that you're going to need for the next turn. So, okay, I need that amount of money. So I need to set that aside. Okay. Then out of my, the money that I made, I also have to pay X amount, whatever it is for your expenses for maintaining the clinic that you have built. Okay. So that money is already gone. Now you have this handful of money. How do I want to use this? Do I want to spend all of this extra money and not have any in liquidity 
you know, or you know, above and beyond for maybe some overrun or maybe oh wow things are oh they took those doctor oh I need more oh I'm I'm short now so you don't leave yourself like that but on top of that any money that you don't spend for points this turn yes it becomes liquidity for subsequent turns but you can never use that money on subsequent turns to buy victory points. Oh yeah, and there's one other really big thing here. <laughs> Turn order is going to be based on the amount of points that you have at any given time. And that's why you want to wait and spend your money as late in the game as you can. So the most painful moments of this game, the most painful decisions you make are when you're sitting there at the end of your turn, staring at your pile of revenue you made that turn and trying to decide how much do I put away for next turn to pay for all my expenses? So you're doing this calculation in your head of how many doctors you need to hire and which modules you're going to buy on which floor and how much it's going to cost. And then trying to decide, do I want to buy points with this? Because if I put this money away and I don't buy points with it, you can use that then to carry you forward in future rounds. But as Edward says, you can never use it to buy points again. And if you buy points too early, the turn order in subsequent rounds is going to be determined by how many points you have. So if you buy a bunch of points early in the game, you're going to rocket ahead on the point chart, but you're also going to go last in turn order, which can be just a killer when it comes to getting the patients and the doctors that you need in particular. Because turn order is going to matter, and we'll we'll go into that more in depth as we go along. But yeah, turn order is a really big deal in this game. But yo, dog, I hear points are important, and so that juggling act is just that. I mean, it's such a huge pressure point in this game. Is that juggling of do I buy? Okay, if the answer is yes, how many do I buy? I could buy six. Do I buy three? Do I buy four? <laughs> how many do I buy? And so that level of planning here, don't get me wrong. You can perfectly fine play this game very, very tactically and succeed in a sense that you will be able to pay for the stuff that you need to pay. You will gain points and you will you will end up with a you know, mediocre score. But if you're playing against anybody that is, has that forethought and is planning that along, you're going to get smoked. So yeah, that level of planning here is a massive deal and absolutely contributes to the weight of this game. And like JT said, it starts before the game even starts. So yeah, I'd say that's pretty high. Mm -hmm. So moving on now to uh, the third factor, which is the luck or randomness or the lack thereof contributing to the uh, to the weight of a game because, you know, less randomness, the more impact your decisions make. Where do you think this falls here? So I put this very low on the, the random and luck scale. The only random elements in this game that I can think of are the the bags that you use to draw doctors and patients. So every round, every after every set of actions is taken by the players, you're going to refill the number a number of patients on the patient queue on the board that you're going to be selecting from. Uh, one of the actions you take is to take some patients from the board and put them into your personal pre-admissions area, which is uh, basically allocating those patients to you such that they're out of reach of all of your, your opponents. Um, the order and the colors of the patients as they come out of the bag are going to be fairly random. You have a distribution of colors, uh, of colors of patient cubes that go into the bag at the beginning of the game. Now, your white patients are going to be 
uh, your easiest to treat and they'll pay out $8. Your yellow patients will be the next most difficult to treat. They'll pay out $12. Then you'll have orange and red, uh, red patients being the most severe and the orange will pay 20, red will pay 32. So these patients become more and more valuable as those colors become uh, go from white to red. Uh, and so every turn you're gonna see those, those cubes come out onto the board and that's gonna give you a good sense of which uh, treatment areas you're going to want to focus on and more importantly, which uh, turns you're going to want to use in order to grab patients from that queue. Uh, the second place is the doctors. Every round uh, after uh, there's six rounds in this game, you're going to take three actions each round. And after each round, you're going to refill the doctors. Uh, and it's just going to be uh, the only random element here is the, the color of the doctors that come out. So again, there's a pre-distribution of doctors that are, are set for the player count. They go into the bag. You're going to draw do doctors from those bag that bag randomly, um, and those will be the ones that are available for that round. So um, this is the only random element in the game, and I don't know that it, it really affects uh, gameplay negatively. In fact, I would say this is a, a, a necessary element in this game because of the planning that's involved. Um, in setting up your your uh, the planning that's going to be involved in setting up your clinic could really put this game on on rails if you knew the patients and the doctors that would also be available. This is where you have to start planning on the fly, and it turns it from by purely strategic long term game into something where every round you're going to be making a tactical decision to deal with that randomness that came out. Yeah, and I it like you said, I think it's imperative or else this game becomes solvable, which nobody wants that. And number two, it adds just the right amount, it feels like, of that randomness to not only keep it from being solvable, but also just to add enough, well, damn it, I wasn't expecting that. Okay, now how do I deal with this? Which is it adds to that layer of decisions that we are all craving when we play this type of game. And it can really make a big difference late in the game. Uh, during that sixth round, the most important action that you take is taking patience because you want to get for that last treatment of the game to bring in your last batch of revenue. You want the best patients you can get. And goodness, if, if you're last in turn order, and you get stuck with just a couple white cubes um, that can really sink your last ability to base a couple, to buy some you know, points. scrapes and bruises and maybe a cough here or there as opposed to, you know, and it's all, you know, abstracted. You're talking colors of cubes as opposed to, you know, somebody maybe has appendicitis and they're going to have to go into surgery right away. I'm going to go out on a limb and say surgery is probably more lucrative for a hospital than say, I don't know taking your temperature and sending you out the door with some Motrin or Robitussin or whatever. You know what I mean? So thematically, it makes sense. But it, there's also this dark, very uh, cynical, but also very clinical way that I imagine that hospitals have to look at it from a revenue standpoint, because most hospitals, maybe not all, obviously, but most hospitals are in this for the money. Yes, they're trying to treat you, but they also are here to make money. So getting the worst patients makes sense. So, yeah, it, I, that 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 added ugh, from the random draw feels just it just feels right. You know what I mean? Like you don't know what kind of patient's going to walk in through, you know, the doors and, and, and what you're going to have to treat in a given day. So, again thematically it kind of makes sense and i agree with you that the randomness here 
isn't high, but I think it's just vital to the game working. So as to how the luck or random factors contributes to the heaviness or the weight of the game, I think, as we said, it's in taking what would otherwise be a strategic, well-thought-out plan on your part and throwing those wrinkles into it that make you always think on your feet. So the complexity of the game, I think, is, is definitely increased by these small random factors. Right. And it doesn't negatively impact it. Like you're not, oh, this big die roll. Oh, I'm screwed. It, it's nothing like that. It's just the random draws, as you mentioned. And yeah, I, I totally agree with you that I actually think the randomness here contributes to the weight and doesn't deter from it. So good call on that. Moving on to the fourth factor, which is the game length. I mean, inherently, it is a skill that you develop. Uh, the longer the game, the more you have to be uh, mentally prepared in just into the game to be able to ha- hold your concentration for a longer amount of time. So how do you think this contributes? So this is a game that I think flows very well once you start playing it and once you get the hang of it. Uh, it usually takes a couple turns to get for people to really figure out how the game flows and what they're trying to do more importantly. And once that happens, you can get through these rounds very quickly. And something that we'll touch on a little bit later, the first half of the round is simultaneous action selection by the players. And the second half is going to be really the bookkeeping side of it. So in that the first half of each, each turn uh, or in the first half, excuse me, of each round, you're going to take three turns. And on each turn, each player is going to choose one of their tiles. They have each of the three actions uh, duplicated on, on a set of tiles. So you have two of each action type and you're going to be selecting one of those in secret and revealing those simultaneously. Um, and, and then it proceeds in turn order through first building. Uh, the, the players who selected the, the build action will build first in turn order, then hiring doctors, then bringing in patients. Um, and once you really get the flow of things, there are some of these that you can do a little bit faster than others. So we to, to keep the game moving along, um, we kind of have a rule that once you take the module that you want to build, you have until the next round to figure out where you want to put it. And I'm sure that there's some uh, advantage you could get if you're watching other people take patients and take doctors. But really, that that decision of where do I put this can take a long time. And so we try to streamline that as much as we can and just say, uh, wait until the next turn. And if if you haven't figured it out by then, then you've got to place it. But um, if you can do those kind of streamlining things, we play this game in maybe under usually under two hours. Yeah. That's a real nice, nice time limit. Right. And and we're talking four players with that. So once, and this isn't, you don't have to have a ton of experience, as you mentioned with this, to be able to get it to that time period, the AP part. And especially for somebody like me who struggles with that, with that, you know, 3d nature of, okay, I want to grab this module, but not only how, and where, where am I allowed to place it? Where do I want to place it? And those don't always align. <laughs> and so it can be like, oh, no. And so now you got to make lemonade out of lemons. So outside of those moments there, like you said, there are little shortcuts that you can take here or there that are intuitive and just I think everybody will just be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. here while you guys are building and figuring this out, we're going to go ahead and hire. And that goes pretty quickly and, and just find little little ways to keep the game moving. And it it actually it flows really well. So I don't ever feel like this game overstays its welcome. And if anything, 
I would almost make the argument that, damn, I wish it were a little bit longer. Almost like that six rounds go by. So at first you're like, wow, six rounds. I got forever. And then all of a sudden you're like, can we play eight? Could we could we just do eight? Because, you know, yeah, that'd be good. But point being just doesn't overstay. And so I think this just feels it hits that sweet spot of decision space uh, meets game length here. Exactly. And that's really how I usually look at game length is how it contributes to the weight of the game is, is the game length tailored such that every decision is going to be very meaningful, um, but not too meaningful, right? And I, I draw this line, uh, maybe using an example, which I, I know is not going to be popular with you because this is your favorite Lacerda game, but Vinos is not my favorite Lacerda. And it's the simple reason that I think there are too few actions in that game. I finished that game and I feel like not only did I not get done anything, you know, everything I wanted to do, I felt like I didn't get done anything I wanted to do. <laughs> and no, I think that's a fair critique because there are a very limited number of actions unless you're doing other, you know, getting additional actions. I hear you and I get that. I So no, no, no beef here. I, yeah. You have the right to be wrong. That's fine. Don't worry. No, 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 no. Um, but seriously, I, I, I get what you're saying in that you want to find that balance point to where... It doesn't feel like life or death on every decision, but there is weight still to every decision. Yeah, because then it lets you make a small mistake early in the game and recover to an extent. Um, I mean, the guy who plays the game perfectly from the beginning is going to to be better than the the person who makes a mistake. But the mistakes I don't think can be, are, are that fatal as they can be in some other games where the decision weight is so much heavier because the game is so much shorter. And at the same time, I don't like it to, as we'd say, overstay its welcome because in an engine building game like this where you're building your clinic and treating more and more patients and generating, you should be generating more revenue at least every round. Um, there comes a point where the guy who has built the best engine is going to to win. And if the last two rounds is just watching that engine play out, um, it can be a little bit I think that can, excuse me, I think that can affect the heaviness of the game in that it gives you too much time to make these decisions. And those decisions become less meaningful because sometimes the the, the outcome of the game has already been decided. And, and the example I'd use here is for me, 1830, I do not have a whole lot of experience playing 18xx games, but there are some of them that feel like the last couple operating rounds just are played out on paper for the sake of doing it. Um, and in this game, I think, as you said, it hits a sweet spot because when I get to that sixth round, I think I got to run my engine. I got to run my clinic one time the way that I really wanted it to and bring in $100 or whatever the, the total payout is on that last round. And that's where it ends. Yeah, I, I think that's well said. Yeah, I I, I agree. Now, I, I mentioned the whole, you know, hey, can it be eight rounds? That's just because I suck and I want to be able to do better and I want to be able to get like that $100 payout at the end. And yeah, well... In theory, maybe that's anyway. Maybe that's my problem with Vinos. I just suck at it. <laughs> Touche. All right. Fair enough. Uh, all right. So the last, uh, the last of the five factors that I uh, think uh, contribute to a game's weight is the, and we kind of already touched on this a little bit, but the getting it factor. Like, how long does it take for the rules to kind of get out of the way, and now you're just really focused on? Okay, I'm not worried about what can I do, but how. Can I do it well? And you're right. We touched on this already. I think it takes one game at the most. And I have 
in my experience, taught this to a couple uh, new players, and most of them get it after two rounds. After you do that first treatment with doctors and nurses and lining those up with the right color cube and the right color doctor, um, everybody kind of gets it. Now, they'll, they'll fumble through the rules of placing the modules throughout the game, but that isn't what I would classify getting it. That would be remembering all of the rules. And once you understand the placement rules, the basics of them, you can go through the the iconography and you can have someone explain it to you during the game if you make a mistake. But uh, the getting the strategy and figuring out what you want to do, I feel like really comes quicker than you would think. Right. And now keep in mind the, the oh, oh, I see what I'm tr- supposed to be doing, but figuring out how you get from where you are to, oh, I see what I should be doing isn't a, you know, very simple path necessarily for some of us. <clears throat> but yeah, I agree. A couple rounds and I think I think you're going to be able to uh realize all the mistakes that you made at that point and realize, "Oh, hey, let's uh let's start over. I get this now and go from there." So yeah, I agree. So ultimately, where would you say uh weight-wise, where would you put this? So on the Eurogame scale, I I would classify it as heavy. I think sometimes we we resist saying something is heavy um, because games like High Frontier or Feudum exist, and and uh, I would classify those as your ultra heavies in the Euro game sense. But this one, I I don't feel bad calling it heavy. I think it's a heavy game when it comes to all the reasons we discussed above: the rules, uh, the weight of each decision, the lack of any sort of randomness or luck that's going to throw you off, and then the kind of planning and forethought that goes into playing this game well. I completely and totally agree with you. I've always said that I felt like war games should be rated on their own scale. Like a war game weight compared to a Euro weight, it's like comparing apples and giraffes. It just doesn't make sense because a lighter war game is still going to be pretty heavy uh, complexity-wise and and weight-wise compared to a Euro. And then one of the things you kind of mentioned, they're not really Euros. They're like... Eklund world, you know, like that, the, those oddball games out there that aren't euros, they're not quite war games. They kind of have their own scale as well, whether it's the pack series, high frontier, stuff like this. But as far as the euros go, I agree. Definitely on the higher end of, uh, here, a heavy, heavy euro. All right, so moving on to components and graphic design and the artwork and so on and so forth. Uh, as far as the components, I'll start with this one. I think the production on this is really, really good. Uh, now, keep in mind, I'm also comparing this to the first edition. The first edition came in a cardboard box. Now, you might be asking yourself, self, doesn't every board game come in a cardboard box? Not in a corrugated cardboard box, they don't. Meaning this was like super hand cut tiles out of like cardstock and the whole nine yards. Like when AV studio games was just Albin, like I'm imagining him in his garage, just cutting out components by hand with scissors and sending the package, you know, the, the games off. But even honestly, comparing a typical standard Euro production, which, you know, you have your standard cubes, you have your standard meeples, you have whatever the, you know, standard thickness of, of cardboard here. Honestly, I would put Clinic Deluxe on par with what I consider a deluxe version of a Euro. And kind of the benchmark that I use for that is some mix of either a Eagle Griffin game 
production, like a like a uh, a Vital Lacerda type game, or you know, a a Mind Clash game type uh, deluxe production minus the minis, really. So I I would put it on par with that, just big picture wise. Where would you fall? I would too, and I I honestly I can't. I don't think you can rate the components in this game without considering where it came from in the first edition. And, and I don't have any complaint with homemade looking games. I have a whole shelf full of Hollenspiel games that are uh, paper maps and, and uh, would fall, I think lower on your traditional component scale. Yeah. I have winsome games. So yeah, same, same idea. Right. And those come in a plastic clamshell. So that's on par with a, with a corrugated cardboard box. But this edition, I think, is really, really good. And I think there's been a lot of, um, I think, a lot of thought in making the components work with the game. Uh, for instance, you have little meeples that you use for the doctors, but the patients are cubes. And it, at first you look at that and you think, why would you go to all this trouble of making meeples for doctors and different meeples for nurses and using other meeples for your... Um, your Orderlies. Orderlies, thank you. Um, and then use cubes for the the patients. But when you start playing the game, you realize how how important it is to be able to quickly tell the difference. And if you had white doctors that were meeples and white patients that were meeples, I think that would be terribly confusing to try and read the board state. So not only is the quality high, but I think the thought that went into what to uh, to uh, to deluxify, for instance, in this game makes a lot of sense. I agree. I thick cardboard for uh, the player boards and and all the chits and everything else. I guess if we're gonna if we're gonna find a negative here as far as component quality is, and I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing, but the cars, which <laughs> we'll talk about the cars later on, and what a pain in the ass these things are. And I don't necessarily mean from a component standpoint. I mean from a where you take a car and go away, you're taking up too much space uh, point of view. But the cars are tiny. Um, I, I kid you not, I use tweezers whenever I'm playing this game to be able to move the cars around. They're not like microscopic. I'm not exaggerating it that far, but, you know, I'm a Marine. I have kind of bigger hands, I guess. And so the cars are very, very tiny and you have to put them in a particular place to fit them onto your player board. So that would be kind of my one beef, I guess, component wise. I, I absolutely agree. And I have small hands, small enough that I am, what, six, seven, and I cannot palm a basketball. So I have no problem picking these up. But there's a guy in my game group who has just really thick fingers. He, he calls them sausage fingers. That's sure, his words. Right. Yep. 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 Not mine. Um, and I know that he he complained about the size of these cars. And it is the one thing that sticks out. The other thing I'll mention is the Meeple's. Uh, for particularly the nurses and the orderlies are thin, which means that when you stand them up, they tip over very easily. And when you have a treatment room with two doctors, three nurses, two cubes, and a conveyor cylinder in there, it gets very crowded. And so as you're trying to move those around, it's really easy to knock those over just because the base on which they're standing is very thin. Yeah, I, I agree. Now, the funny thing is, is I didn't even think of that for the simple fact that because I stream games, everything's always laying down for me anyways, intuitively. So I just because the camera's up above. So I, that never occurred to me. But that's actually a really good point. But yeah. So but I mean, obviously, we are nitpicking here. 
but uh, but yeah. So bottom line, component quality. Um, I'm really really happy overall with yep. the the uh, calling this a deluxe edition and feeling like it's a deluxe edition. So well done there. Moving on to the box size. Now the box size. I don't know that it's a quote unquote standard size, but it's it's a you know it's a it's a reasonable size. It's about nine inches by twelve and a half inches by just under three inches thick, or twenty three by call it thirty two by seven centimeters. So it's a little bit bigger than your you say Agricola size box, but it it it's not it's not grossly oversized. It's not it's not going to be a shelf hog, right? And for someone who doesn't have Agricola right next to it, I would describe it as an Agricola-sized box. Uh, I, looking at it, would think that's about the size it is. And the nice thing about this box is, first, it fits the expansion, but just barely. But isn't that nice? Like, shelf space matters to anybody that's been in this hobby for any appreciable amount of time. Oh, I'm only going to have so many games. Yeah, yeah. And then they 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 have babies. <laughs> <laughs> and they grow and like you just add water. They're like Mogwai. And uh, so shelf space matters. And so being able to fit basically two boxes in one is really, really nice. It is. And I, and I tell my wife, I don't know how this happened. I just left them in here and they they've just multiplied. And that alone makes the idea for me of being able to throw away the box to an expansion. Just an awesome thing. Yep. And uh, it comes with a... Uh, with a sleeve, uh, which aesthetically is really pretty. It, it's really cool looking. I like it. But I dislike sleeves because I want to try and keep it in good shape. And inevitably, they always get like dog-eared around the edges. And they just they get gird up. And I think sleeves are better in concept than in practicality. But it does have a, a sleeve that fits over the box. So there's that. Yeah. And it's a regular sleeve. It's a thin sleeve. It's not like a, a Goo Gong deluxified sleeve that's that's really pretty thick. The only reason that I appreciate the sleeve in this case, because generally I'm with you. I think they get dinged up. They're hard to keep in good shape. I usually end up throwing them away. But in this game, because you're trying to cram everything in for the expansion, um, if you stack it vertically. so if you Which everybody end, should be storing all their games vertically, let me say. Just... Well, I mean, yeah, unless you're a serial killer or something. Thank you. Thank you, JT. Thank you. I, I put those people in the same category as those that don't clip their counters with war games. So <laughs> anyway, if you're storing it vertically, it's nice to have that sleeve on there because it holds the box closed and it doesn't let everything move around inside if you take the game off the shelf next to it. It's a small thing, but that's the one reason that I keep the sleeve for this game. I, you know what? I, I can't fault you on that because I have games that I'm like, don't move that game next to it because the whole thing's going to spill out. Don't you dare do that. So I get that. I, I, I understand that. All right. Moving on to graphic design. Now, this one, this one's going to be an interesting discussion. So um, I will say this. So Ian and I, when we got together uh, at Essen last year, went out, uh, we had dinner, me, Jess, Ian, some other folks, uh, we were talking about. Uh, this game and he had talked about how he for all intents and purposes spent the better part of half a year working on the graphic design for clinic this was 
and I don't think I, I, I'm misquoting him here, said it is it was the hardest and biggest project uh, of its type that he's ever worked on. So with that said, sir, what are your thoughts on the graphic design? So at first, I was not sure that I liked it. But as I've played it more over time, I've come to recognize this as really what I would call a masterpiece of graphic design for a game. Simply because if you gave me the rule book and said, here, I want you to design iconography that explains all the rules for placing all of these modules as it's laid out in the rule book, I would tell you to go do something because I can't imagine being able to do that. And now there are a couple of them in there that I, I disagree with. That I don't think they're very clear, but the test that I use is what would I do different? What would, what would I do to make it more clear? And I can't come up with something that's better that wouldn't take up an inordinate amount of space. So I think with the job that Ian was tasked to do with this game, I think he did it as well as I think you can. You know, and I was getting ready to disagree with you because there are, for the exact reason that you just mentioned on the second half of that, which is there are icons in here that to me just aren't clear. They just aren't. And if they're not clear, then the graphic design, I feel like in those for those representations is a failure. However, I have never once been able to look at that and been like, well, why didn't he just make that this? And so I think that's a fair that's a fair point that, okay, not that we're trying to do Ian's job for him, but okay. Is there something more intuitive for you that would be able to convey these ideas? And you know what? Damn you. No, I can't come up with anything. And so, so, okay, let's kind of unpack this a little. Let's stay here for a second on that. So you and I would agree that there are certain icons in this and certain representations, and I can't think of them off the top of my head, so boo on me as the host here. But there are some of those that we would agree aren't as clear as what we would want them to be, to be able to make it at a glance, oh, this means that. So then my question is, where's the failure here? Because clearly there's a failure because if it's not conveying the information that it, it should be conveying, then it's a failure. But my question is, is it a failure of the graphic design or of the game design that makes it to where you can't graphically do that? Or is this because almost everything I think on the board is and pretty much everywhere in this game is language independent. So was that a sacrifice that was made that was a step too far because those th some of those things were not clear. What do you think? Well, I think you nailed it right there. Uh, I don't know that this is a game that you can do completely language independent and still have it be entirely clear. So for me, the icons that are very difficult to remember every time are those for placing service hubs. In this game, the rules for placing a service hub are probably the most complex of any type of module that you're going to place. A service hub is the type of treatment that you're giving to a patient. So you have uh, psychology, cardiology, ophthalmology, arthroscopic surgery, arthroscopy, yeah, the, bro the broken uh, are, 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 right. Yeah, the, the broken knee. Right. Yeah, and uh, neurology. And 
there are pictures of all these. So when we can't remember what those are, we just refer to them as the brain and the knee and the the other brain. I guess it is. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Anyway, the, but the, they all, all of those are clear. All of those are different. However, the placement rules, like you said. Exactly. Each service hub can also not be placed adjacent to any other service hub, either on the same floor or on the floor above or below it. The other rules for a service hub include the fact that you can only take one service hub per turn per player. So if I take a uh, on my first turn in a round, if I decide to build a neurology service hub, I cannot on my second turn go back and build a cardiology service hub. And another rule is only one one instance of each type of service hub can be built by any player on a turn, which means if I build a neurology service hub, nobody else can build a neurology service hub during that round. And so this is like six rules that you're trying to describe to place a service hub. And the icons that he's used, when I explain the rule, I can look at it and say, yep, that's what that means. But if I have to look at the icon, I couldn't back out the rule very easily from that unless I you know, now have 10 games under my belt where I know those rules. I think this is a, an instance where you maybe just needed to spell something out with some words and make it clear. Yeah, I, I think that's spot on because exactly what you said, when I'm explaining the rules and I'm pointing to the board saying this means that, you're shaking your head going, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I get that. And then fast forward an hour from now and be like, what's that mean? Hell if I know. <laughs> so yeah i i think that's i i think ian did as good a job as he could while making it language independent however i think it was a step too far as a as a as a system making it language independent i totally totally agree again this is only in a couple of very specific areas but again that is my one sticking point on the graphic design but other than that and the tiles themselves are small and so the icon uh, the iconography which explains what's on that tile and i'm not talking specifically the service hubs but on some of the other uh some of the other tiles because again the footprint on this game collectively can get rather large because your player board physically is building up you know, it's getting taller as you add more floors. And so all of the uh, all of the tiles are parallelograms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to call them trapezoids and I got it right. Yes. All of them are parallelograms. So they're, you know, they're, they're, you know, squares, but at an angle and they're they're perfectly fine when they're right there in front of you. But when it's over there on the table, it's impossible to read some of the real fine stuff that's on there. And again, that's just a limitation of the size of the components, I feel like. But when you look at it up close, you're like, oh, it says, you know, $3 for that. Okay, mm -hmm. got it. Okay, cool. Yep. And this is maybe more of a components issue. But as long as we're nitpicking, um, I think the parallelograms used for each of the model modules makes it very difficult to place and maintain the the placement on the board because if you you knock one of them it moves everything because they're all connected in in vertical and horizontal and diagonal lines um, whereas if you have more of a grid that you were placing things on uh, using rectangular modules you could knock one and just move the row or that column but it seems like to me like every time i knock one of these the whole thing just shifts i agree but i think 
I think that would happen regardless of the shape, but I mean, it gives it a nice aesthetic though when it's on the board. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just it's tight. That's that's all I'm saying. All right, that's yeah. a, that's all. All right, so artwork wise, here, what are your thoughts on the artwork? So, to me, it's a little bit sterile. I mean, it is a clinic after right. all. I mean, come on. But there's there's a lot of blood, right? This is uh, <laughs> this. Uh, if we look at the the artwork, it is very it's very abstract. The cover has some pictures of doctors rushing in and out, but your player board doesn't have anything like that. The rooms themselves don't have anything that would really denote, I think, the the theme other than just the mechanics of running a clinic. And that may be what you want, but I would have loved to see just a little bit of um, maybe more personal artwork, more doctors and nurses moving around maybe to give you a feel that this was a live clinic rather than just an exercise in building um, a model. See, and I disagree. I think a, just the, I don't want to say sterile look, right. Um, but the, you know, tool has a, has a definite style about his artwork. You look at something like the gallerist, that comes to mind. That is probably uh, the one that kind of feels the closest to this as far as the the very clean lines and everything is, again, I don't, I, I, dis, I, I disagree on the sterile part, but I also understand where you're coming from. It's just very clean. And I like that. But again, it's artwork, right? It's very, uh, it's very subjective here. And for me, I feel like it fits the theme of this, like you have this brand new clinic that you were building. So everything is going to be sparkly and clean and very just sharp and nice. And I don't know, I, it appeals to me, but I also can appreciate why if there were more, not to use a, uh, off office space, uh, reference, but more flair. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I don't think you need 30 pieces of flair here. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's tone it down a little. All right. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think, uh, and you make a good point here because the clean aspect of the artwork is important because you don't want to let that interfere with the, the functional nature of the graphic design. Where I think maybe if you had more artwork like I'm suggesting here, it would make the board state less readable. It would make these the iconography that is already confusing enough, more difficult to parse. I'm not sure that you can do it the way that I, I am suggesting you should have done it uh, and not have it interfere with the, the functionality of the graphic design. Form and function, right? In a perfect world, we want both, but function has always has to trump. You have to have it, in my opinion, everything has to be clean as far and clear as to what is it that I'm trying to do and that the information is being conveyed, first and foremost. Everything else above that is, while I won't say unnecessary, it is secondary to the function and and the cleanliness of me being able to actually play the game. And I think again because tight spaces and just the 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 form factor of this game I I think it fits. I like it. But again, like I said, it's artwork, so hey, that's I mean that's part of the appeal here, right? And that's that's why we don't have to always agree on this stuff. Absolutely. 
So moving on to the rule book, clarity and quality. Um, I'll, I'll let you have the honors, sir. So I think that the rule book is fairly clear as a reference. Although I'll be honest, the first time that I played this game, I read the sections of the rule books and it just wasn't entirely clear to me how it worked. And so I actually went back and watched the heavy cardboard teach when, when this game was up on Kickstarter and you did a stream of it. I would read the section of the rule book, watch the teach, and then it would make perfect sense. Uh, so I don't know that there was anything wrong with the rule book per se, but there was some missing link, at least when I was going from the words on the page to how it actually worked in practice. And I think that's a, a really difficult thing to do in a rule book. Coming from a wargamer standpoint, if you read a GMT rule book, they're great references. But goodness, I've read a bunch of them where I get done and I think, okay, but how do I play this game? Yep. Like, okay, all of that made sense, but now what the hell am I doing? Yep. And and I felt like it wasn't that extreme in this case, but I felt like there was something missing. And I don't have a really good way to describe it. But once I watched the video and I've played it, I think it works great as a reference. You know what that's called, JT? Job security is what that is. All right. Um, so, all right. I I agree wholeheartedly with everything you just said. Um, it's definitely better than the first edition. Let's be clear on that. All right. Albin has come a long way and he realized that he needs actually uh, somebody not named Albin VR to do his rule book. So credit there. That is a, a learning process. Um, however, hmm, even so. And I I should be clear here. There are some rules changes from the first edition to the Clinic Deluxe edition. So that's why we're focused strictly on the uh, Clinic Deluxe, because there were some significant changes, only a couple, but they were significant. So I don't want anyone to go to the first edition rulebook to reference anything. But to me... (laughs) One of my biggest pet peeves, and I feel like one of the biggest cardinal rules for a rule book is don't repeat stuff. And the reason for that is the more times you say something, the more times you have a chance to make something unclear or confusing or to contradict something that you had said either previously or later, depending on your your frame of reference. Now, I will say overall, uh, Nathan Morse, I think, did a really, really good job with the rule book. It wasn't perfect, but I've read far worse. I've also read better. I think it's fine. However, on that note, what I will uh, commend uh, Nathan on and everybody involved here are there are two files over on BGG that I think are really, really important for anybody that wants to learn this game. Uh, and just to have in your box of the rules, I would argue you shouldn't have to do this. I understand that. And God knows I have cried and yelled and screamed about rule books on this show for years. But that said, there are two files on BGG that I think are going to make things a whole lot easier on top of the heavy cardboard playthrough and, and, and teaching video that I did. So there is one by Nathan Morse called the Clinic Deluxe Holistic Summary includes solitaire mode, all expansions included in the base game, and all expansions from the extension. Go and print that out. Step one. Hard stop. The second one 
is from a friend of the show, patron, by the name of Chris Spath. Now, he's one of the guys that helps us with uh, with some show stuff behind the scenes. He also did an amazing job uh, with this file called Clinic Deluxe Edition Clarifications Includes Changes to the Original Edition. Go print that out and look at that as well. And I think those two, in conjunction with the rule book and the playthrough video, and you're all set. However, in a perfect world... You wouldn't need those, you know, those two files. But as it is, they do help. And I think that they help for important reasons because there are some some things that are just not quite clear in the rule book. I know there's been some discussion on BGG about how you reset turn order. So as, as Edward mentioned, you buy points going from last to first. So the last place person buys their points uh, and then the first all the way up to the first place person. And so you... You often will get the play the, the situation where people pile up because they don't want to jump out in front and and have more points than anyone else and lose their turn order. Um, and so there's just been a little bit of a discussion on the forums about how that's resolved. And Alvin has actually answered that question a couple of times. So there are some ambiguities in the rule book um, that do require a little bit of outside help. The other thing that I'll comment on that I I dislike in a rule book is where there is some uh, commentary in the rules. That's unnecessary. That tries to add some flavor to it, um, but ends up being kind of confusing. And so, in this case, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just give you an example. And I don't think this is uh, confusing, but it it does give an example of, of what I'm talking about here. Uh, under taking a car, this section in the rule book for when you treat a patient, what do they they do? They go home and they take their car. Um, it says that uh, you can take any car you want out of the parking lot. And then in parentheses says, yes, the patient just drove off in the doctor's Maserati. She shouldn't have left her keys in it. That's fine. But there's a couple other places in the rule book, and I, I can't find them right now, where that little bit of commentary can be confusing. One of them is um, that if you don't pay somebody's salary, do they leave? One of the comments makes it seem like if you don't pay a doctor's salary, then they do leave the hospital. Um, in the base game, that's not true. If you don't pay your, your doctors, they never leave your hospital. Um, you just have to either pay them using your points instead of money, or if you have no money and you have no points, then the game pays their cost for you. But it's only when you get into the expansions, do you have some doctors that will leave the hospital if they're not paid? Uh, and so that's something that when I was reading it, I thought, well, where would the situation arise that this would happen? And I had to go spend some time looking it up on BGD to figure that out. So yeah, anytime you have like flavor commentary should be off under the side. I understand. Look, trust me, when I'm writing my teaching notes and everything, I throw little things in there and then I get told, shut up, take that out. No, it doesn't belong. My bad. Okay. So I get it. I totally get it. So yes, you're right. But I also understand the want to do that. So, but yes, don't do that. But in the end, go and download those two and hopefully that helps everybody. All right. So moving on to the setup, teardown and teaching and learning of the game. All right. So for me, setting this game up is a pain in the butt. Um, there are a lot of things you have to do to get this game ready. First, you've got to, to allocate the right number of cubes and the right number of doctors according to the player count and, and get those sorted out and put in the bags. And that's not something you can have pre-prepared because the number of white, yellow, and orange cubes that are going to go in the bag changes based on the player count. 
Um, the other thing you've got to do is set up in stacks all of the different modules that you're going to be buying during the game. And you actually do have to put those in stacks because the way that you determine or the way that you enforce the rule, I should say, that you can only buy one ser- of, of each type of service hub per round is that you place them all in the stack upside down except you flip the top one. And so when that top one is taken, the rest of the stack is upside down. And that serves as a reminder that somebody else has already purchased one of those that round. So you've got to stack all of those up and they're all stacked off to the side. Um, that for me and getting this game already usually takes somewhere around 10 minutes. I haven't timed it, but it's it's always kind of a pain. And it's one that I try to set up before people arrive to play it. Yeah, I for me, it's not as bad as some of you know, a, a number of other games, but I, I, I can understand that. Uh, just go through the rule book, you know, step by step as far as the setup, but it's not, it's not simple and it's not necessarily intuitive. So I hear you. Um, and again, it's, it's, you know, we kind of have already talked about, uh, as far as how small some of the components are, And, you know, those little dishes that I use and, you know, everybody has their various dishes separating the cars into these and then the exits over there and the helipads into there and so on and so forth. Um, But, yeah, an insert would have been great. But, again, I'm fine with baggies. It's true. And and I maybe just suggest an insert because I just got an upgrade on my 3D printer. So I'm hoping to be printing a lot of inserts. That's the whole reason I bought that stupid thing. Uh, <laughs> Print your own inserts. Nice. There's just as a side note on Thingiverse, there's always somebody that has tried to print an insert for a game. Uh, and they'll they'll upload their models there. So it's it's not something I have to design myself, but I can at least print it myself. Um and the reason I mentioned the size of the components is you're supposed to, on the game board, stack in these little columns the nurses and the orderlies on the space on the board where they're supposed to go to indicate how many of those are available each round. So there's only one nurse available each round per player. So in a two-player game, there's only going to be two nurses available. And once that round is over, they go away. Uh, so you'll miss your opportunity to buy a nurse that round if you don't do it. It doesn't carry over. And underneath each of those slots is the the price. And so it's important to be able to see the price of the nurse and have the nurse in the right place. And the only way to see them is to stack them vertically. And as I mentioned, those nurses are very skinny and they are easy to knock over. And it's almost impractical to try and do that. So we always lay them down, uh, even though we're not streaming, just because they're going to get knocked down anyway. And then you can't see the price. And so that's kind of a pain to try and stack those up. It's not as bad as something like Arkwright, where you're stacking miles of pawns that represent the workers <laughs> again referencing an insert wow that works really well yep yeah no no i i, I feel you um as far as teaching the game um i think it's pretty straightforward as far as look you know there are three available actions and then going over what the actions are and then going through the various steps in a given round and the hardest part of teaching this game is the placement rules which I'll be honest, we pretty much have already covered, especially about the service hubs. Anything else you want to add to that? No, except that this game always takes a little bit longer than I think it should to teach. I, I As I go into a teach, I feel like I should be able to plow through this in about 20 minutes. And it usually takes 25, 30 minutes on the long end to get through everything. The great thing about this game, though, and we've touched on this a little bit with the graphic design discussion, is you can teach this game entirely from the player boards and from the game board itself. 
So the game board, um, I know we've talked about this a little bit, but the functional part of the game board, you could shrink down almost to a couple three by five cards in size. Uh, and that is just having somewhere to put the nurses and the doctors and to put the patients and to track turn order and points. Everything else on the game board is a walkthrough of every step that you take during the game. So you, when you're teaching the, the action to build a module, for instance, you can walk down that, that side of the game board and go through each of the placement rules for the modules and say that for this service hub to do any good, you then have to have this treatment room. And this little icon here shows you that you need to have a treatment room on the same floor next to the service hub for that treatment room to be able to treat patients. And you also need to put a supply room adjacent to it on this floor or another floor. And you can walk through that very quickly and very easily. And I think that doing that is helpful for people to learn the game because then they not only hear what you're saying, but they can see on the board the things that they are going to use to remind themselves of those rules during the game. Um, and, and I'll touch on one last part of that design is we mentioned earlier that the first half of each round are the three turns that you take doing actions. The second half of each round is really a, a I would say, an administrative phase. Yeah, you're bookkeeping. Walking, yeah, yeah, totally. You're walking through, you're moving your, your people around the hospital and that's all basically kind of solitaire. And then you're treating your patients and you're getting revenue and then you're paying upkeep based on the number of modules and gardens and, and doctors and nurses that you've hired. You have to pay salaries and you have to pay upkeep. And then you're buying points. And at, finally, at that point, you start buying points. And I'll, I'll mention here one of the streamlining things that we've done is we do this all independently. And then at the very end of this stage, we all just say, hey, I made this much. I paid this much in expenses and I have this much revenue left. Um but then you all buy points in order. And then the administrative phase where you're kind of resetting the game board and resetting the patients, that is all right there on the game board in front of you. You never have to look at the rule book. And I think that if I was going to make a comment on the graphic design, the way that you can use it to teach the game and connect that teach to how you play each round in front of everybody during the game is just awesome. Right. And I totally agree with everything you said and the one thing that i want to add on this is for anybody out there that is familiar with the game indonesia what i feel like is <clears throat> indonesia is a two-part game right you have the building you know the merging of the companies and all your various actions and then the operations phase which there is a little bit of decisions in there but for the most part it's just Okay, I'm moving this, I'm delivering this, using these, getting that money. That aspect of Indonesia kind of feels like the head down part of each player's turn to where, look, okay, I'm going to treat these patients. I need to move these doctors and these nurses to this room. It takes this much time. Okay, there, I treated that one. I'm going to make that amount of money. I'm going to have to pay those expenses. There you go, boom, the end. And it just kind of reminds me of how the operations in Indonesia isn't necessarily where the good part of that game is. It's kind of the same here. And it kind of gives me, reminds me of that same field where, okay, now that I've done my, basically the meat of my turn, now I have to go through the administrative part of, okay, treating the patients, getting the money, paying my expenses, da, 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 da. Okay. Da, da, da. Here's how much I made at the end. There you go. Yep. And, and I think that this can't be overstated how important this is to be able to teach a game from the player aid and from the board. Um, there's another game, Welcome to Centerville by Chad Jensen. Yep. Jensen, that has one of the best player aids I've ever used because you can walk through that player aid that is going to be in front of the player and it answers every question you're going to have about the game. 
another example from the wargaming side is Washington's War. It has a really, really good player aid that you can teach the game from going through each action as it's listed there. And that way, when they look down at the player aid, they get it. So there you go. So finally, we have arrived at, you know, what makes the game enjoyable and uh, why? JT? <laughs> there are a lot of things that I really like about this game. And I think that the most, one of the most rewarding things for me when I play this game is just jumping right off the discussion we have had there is that administrative phase can be really good when it works out. You're building something in this game, just like in Agricola, you're building a farm. You get done with the game, you can at least look down and see, I built this and it took a lot of work and it was it was difficult to do. And it may not be the best farm, but you know what? It's my farm and I like it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I get that same feeling with this game sometimes is that you... You, you can look down at the end of the game and you see this big three building complex that even if it wasn't the most efficient and didn't generate the most money, I'm usually pretty happy with it. And during that administrative phase, when you finally start making big paychecks, that's really, I mean, I know it's just a game, but it's really rewarding. Um, it's like when I, I graduated from college and, and, you know, you're working in college and you're, you're making kind of a, a part-time paycheck and then you go to a real job and you get that first paycheck and you think, holy cow, I've made it. And I get that same feeling sometimes when I play this game in that fifth round or sixth round when all of a sudden you treat two red patients and an orange patient and two you know, white patients all at the same time and you get $100 in revenue and you think, boy, going from where I was at the beginning of the game to what I just made is quite an accomplishment. Yeah, and it just feels good. Right? I mean, look, okay, fine, you beat me. Okay. I hey, maybe I was competitive, I hope, but did you see what I was able to do this round? Look at this. Look at that. Yes, I totally get that feeling and feel 100% uh the same. However, I don't know if y'all caught that. There's a thing here in clinic to where you can build multiple buildings within your clinic, right? If I'm doing really well, I have two buildings within my clinic. So I don't know if y'all caught that, but it was a very subtle humble brag there, JT. Yeah, you know, look at that. I built three buildings. What? Mm -hmm. I caught that, JT. I see where you're at. I well, see you. Really, that's a really important scoring aspect is that you get, if you build one b building, that's the baseline. If you can build two separate buildings that are not connected, you get an extra eight points. And if you can get three buildings that all are set up to treat patients, you get 16 extra points. Um, and so there's a lot of, uh, I think most of the time when I'm in that sixth round, I am trying to make sure that I can get a third building that will actually be ready to treat patients and rack up those last uh, eight points. I, I, I've never once <laughs> been able to build three buildings, just saying. Okay, all right. Um, probably my number one uh, thing that I like most about Clinic is it has a really dark and very cynical sense of humor. Um, throughout this entire review, we keep J JT keeps mentioning uh, making patients, you know, more viable and worth more because just because a patient, again, there's that sliding scale, right? So white cubes represent the healthiest of patients or whatever that, you know, the minor, then they go yellow, then orange, then red. And then after red, they die. Bad things happen. You lose points. Don't let that happen. 
However, they progressively get worse. And so, you know, I don't think, imagine they're out in the waiting room and they're just hanging out. <laughs> it's just a cough. And then it gets worse. And then it gets worse. And now all of a sudden they're an orange patient. Now it's worth my time to go ahead and treat that, uh, that patient because now, now I can make it some money. That's cynical part number one. Cynical part, however, number two is, and oh my, anybody out there that is a nurse will appreciate this because let's face it, the U.S. healthcare system is dominated and run by the nurses. God bless all of them. I feel like they are the ones doing the heavy lifting here. And this game kind of shows that. And what I mean by that is... For each patient, they need to be treated by a doctor. And each doctor has a associated color level for their skill level. So your most basic doctor is the white one, whereas your most advanced doctor is going to be a red doctor. Well, there is if there is a difference between the patient level and the doctor level in either direction, it requires nurses to bridge that gap. And you might be thinking, why is that? Well, if I have this super highly qualified doctor, why why can't they treat this simple patient? No, no worries. You know, that should be simple. The way now, this is not explicitly laid out, but the way I see that is it's beneath them. They have egos. And I'm not going to bother wasting my precious time as this really highly trained, very valuable doctor treating that patient. It's not worth it. So for every difference in level between the doctor and the patient, you need one nurse. So if it's only a gap of one in either direction, then one nurse suffices. If it's a, a red doctor and a white cube patient, you need three nurses to be able to treat that patient. So all of a sudden, you're having to pay that doctor and all those nurses to be able to treat this very low uh, revenue uh, patient. And going the other way, a doctor who is you know new from school and isn't that great, they can do amazing work as long as they have amazing nurses. And therefore, they can treat worse patients or patients that they wouldn't normally be able to treat. And just that cynical nature of this game is just that is that is the Albin VR that I know. And I absolutely love that about this game. And what I like about that is that you can take it to be kind of cynical or you can make up a story around it that makes it sound like it's not an, a horrible thing that you're letting this patient sit out there. <laughs> you know, the rule book doesn't say, you know, let the guy with the cough sit in the pre-admissions area until he has cancer. Uh, it just says that they get worse. And I think it leaves that up to your imagination. And so uh, we have kind of thought that it's it's more of a trying to diagnose them correctly uh, is what you're waiting for rather than uh, letting him get worse. I don't know what this money. says about me, but <laughs> I, that never even crossed my mind ever. Uh, okay. All right. Fair enough. There is one other thing that uh, thematically some people have a hard time parsing, I think, in this game that also I see it as a bit of a cynical nature about this game. And that is that 
when patients come out of the draw bank, they go into a certain order, like, uh, you know, whether it's psychology first or, or you know, uh, cardiology, whatever the order is in that. And so you have a patient and whichever, wherever you, uh, wherever they are in the queue, those queues can be manipulated uh, via the number of exits that you have in your clinic. And so if you have enough call it movement points to be able to manipulate uh, patients. No, 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 no. You don't have a cardiology problem. No, no. It's a psychology problem. It's all in your head, bro. It's okay. So you can manipulate them and where you take them from on the board and put them into your pre-emissions area, that's the the patient, that, that's what type of treatment they require. And so again, going to my cynical nature, I just see it as, you know, no, no, either the patient's a hypochondriac or they're just confused. That's all. So I, I, I agree. And I think there's also a way to spin that to be a little bit more positive because just as an example. <laughs> fine, I'm the resident asshole. All right, fine. <laughs> So this last, uh, like two weeks ago, my son came in and my wife is, is gone and he says, I'm itching all over. And so I, I lift up his shirt and he's got hives on his chest. And uh, I, well, guy. I don't know what to do with this. And uh, so we start, you know, getting on Google and trying to diagnose what's going on. And I go and put some sort of cream, whatever we had in the drawer on him. Cause you know, I'm, I'm not good at this stuff. There's a reason sure. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> and and anyway, we, we go like two or three days and, and he's still got hives everywhere and he's just miserable. And um, and we went two or three days, by the way, because it was the weekend, not because we're bad parents. Hey, and, hey, you spin it however you want, <laughs> JT. You're fine. No, no. <laughs> anyway, we, we get Monday, have an appointment. He goes in and the doctor looks at him and says, oh, by the way, he's got an ear infection. He really needs to be on some antibiotics. And we said, what? He's got hives. He says, well, the hives are going away. These are fine. We need to take care of the ear infection. And so we thought, oh, I, I just made me think of clinic right there. I thought, ah, oh, we had him in the old uh, dermatology queue and turns out he needed to be in the, the ear infection queue or whatever. Right. The I, I, eyes, nose and throat uh, specialist or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Okay. See, I just. And, and with the number of people that I, I talked to a doctor friend of mine with the number of people who come into the doctor and say, Hey, I looked it up on Google, WebMD. I know this is what I have. And then the doctor looks at him and does some tests and says, nope, that's not even close. I, I, I have some sympathy for this idea that the doctor, the patient puts themselves in the queue and the clinic really has to sort out where they actually belong. You know, now, now that you pointed out like that, fine. Or you can just say we're sticking them in the queue. We want to make good money. I mean, that's, that's a totally valid representation of what happens. <laughs> So, needless to say, the 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 nature of the theme here allows it to uh, allows for interpretation, and you can either be a glass half full or a glass half empty or a uh, or a capitalist pig at heart, whichever that may be. But in the end, I think the theme here fits so well here. It really, really works. And again, a game to me doesn't need a good theme, but when it has a theme and it's integrated into the core of the game itself, it just makes it that much more of a rewarding experience. And I think this this is this nails it for me. Yep. And I agree. I this is one of my favorite parts of this game is that it has a theme that is well integrated with 
the mechanics of, of the game itself. So the idea that patients get worse over time is great. The idea that you have an outpatient center that you can just treat anyone and send them home, give them a Band-Aid. That's, I mean, a little cynical, but I think that works very well thematically. The idea that your doctors over time become more stressed and less capable of treating a large number of patients. So they're their uh, their color degrades over time I think or, or they're busy working and they don't have time to keep up with the latest greatest is how i see it they're just busy treating all these patients so they degrade and so see see it's not all you know doom and gloom here over in uh edwards clinic <laughs> and then the idea that edward could build a garden outside of his treatment room and increase the amount that people are willing to pay because they want to be treated next to some greenery um and the last one that I think is really neat is the the idea of this movement being a penalty that I have been in hospitals and sometimes it is a long walk to get to uh, the maternity center from the front door. Uh, we <laughs> There was one situation where with our second daughter, we pulled in the parking lot at three o'clock and at 3.09, we had a baby up in that, that room. And so every step there actually counts <laughs> in the hospital. <laughs> And so the more movement that it takes to move a patient from the front door where your entrance is to your service hub, to your to your treatment room and to move a doctor into that area, too. That's the weight. That's what people hate about a hospital. And so if you can fix that and make that efficient, I think that's that's terribly thematic. Yeah, I agree, because in this game, literally time is money, because the more time that for every step that you make, there are some exceptions to this, but every step that you make, uh, whether it's a doctor or nurse, a patient, whatever, they are adding up time and time gets deducted from your final total at the end of the game uh, as far as it, it, you lose victory points from that. And again, for anybody, again, for me being super cynical, I don't understand why without fail, when you go and you have a three o'clock appointment, like there's no chance you're, you better be there by three, but there's no chance you're getting seen before three 30 if it's not an emergency. And I'm like, why the hell do we have a, a, an appointment at this point? So I appreciate that literally time is money. So the less time you have theoretically people waiting, the better th- your clinic is thought of more popularity point the the more points you scored because hey people don't like waiting around when they go they don't want to spend all day at the hospital for something that shouldn't take them all day so i definitely appreciate and that's just another example of that theme being uh implemented here just in a really core great way yep and i think this leads to the next thing that i really like about this game is that the way that your doctors degrade in their ability to treat patients and the patients become more uh, severe over time and the way that nurses can make up difference, the difference between those two is not just a thematic element, but it's really a strong piece of the puzzle solving in this game that you have to do. Every round, the, one of the last things you do during the administration phase is you take all of your doctors and you you replace them with a doctor that is worse. So your yellow doctor becomes a white colored doctor and your orange colored doctor becomes a yellow doctor. So you might hire uh, that red doctor, but four rounds, rounds later, he is just going to be a, a regular old white doctor and going to need nurses to be able to treat somebody who's who's more uh, a more severely ill patient. And at the same time, your patients are moving in the opposite direction. So you have to really not only plan to have all the pieces of the structure for your clinic there in place to treat this person, but you've got to have 
a plan is to when your doctors moving one direction are going to converge with your patients moving the other direction and make sure you have enough nurses because it's really easy to get in that situation where you think, I'm just going to wait till this patient is a red patient and make $32 instead of $8. And then all of a sudden you get to that round and you think, all I have is white doctors and two nurses and I can't treat this patient. And at the end of that round, if you've got a red patient in your clinic, that patient dies and ends up costing you, I think it's like eight points. I, I try to never let that happen, so I don't know exactly. How yeah, say, yeah it, just don't. That bad stuff. Don't let a patient die in your clinic. That that tends to hurt your popularity when word gets out. And yeah, I agree with you because you don't get rid of staff in this game. I mean, there 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 might be certain expansion modules that I haven't played that in which you can. But yeah, once you've hired them, you got them like luggage. So they're going to cost you money, whether you want them to or not. Oh, I have too many doctors. Well, plan better. Exactly. And and that's a part of the efficiency puzzle. And that's really where this game becomes great is it's all about being efficient with what you've hired and what you treat and what you've built. Because everything that you have that you don't use in a round, you're paying needlessly to upkeep. If I have a treatment room that I don't treat anyone in, I still pay a dollar to upkeep it. If I have a doctor, a red doctor who doesn't treat a red patient uh, doesn't or doesn't treat any patients, I just paid $4 in salary to keep that doctor on the list because he's not going to leave and I still owe them money. And so not only are you trying to line up both in space on your clinic and in time as to when which turn do I do the treatment, but you've also got to line up um, – in such a way that every round you're doing something efficient with your doctors. If you get to the last round and you have six doctors, um, that typically means that you're going to have rounds where you don't treat enough patients. There's no way that you're treating six patients the sixth round and five patients the, f- the fifth round um, and, and four the fourth round and on down. You've got to really have a good plan so that you are not just wasting salaries and wasting upkeep. And that's really hard to do. Agreed. And it is a efficiency euro in that regard. So efficiency and I mean, that says it right there, right? Yep. So one of the other things in this game, I think it's a bad rap for, and I'll touch on this a little bit in, in the section where we talk about what we don't like about clinic. Uh, but you'll hear it often said that this is really a multiplayer solitaire game. And, That's true to some extent because a lot of the things you're doing are in front of you on your player board and particularly in the last half of the game, even though you have to pay attention to what other people are doing, you are actually going through the motions of the administrative phase on your player board in front of you. Uh, But there is a lot of room in this game to screw your opponents. Uh, I, I can't emphasize enough how much turn order matters and how essential it is that you get the patients and the doctors you need. I have... A number of times taking patients that I didn't really need that I knew somebody else really needed. Um, and that's how you've got to play this game if you're going to win. Because, well, let me just give you an example. If you look at the board, there is a cardiology. There's an order to the on the queue where each of these service types for each patient uh, arrives when they're drawn out of the bag. So at the top of that list is the psychology, then cardiology, then ophthalmology, then the broken knee orthopedics <laughs> yeah, orthopedics yes Boy. then the broken <laughs> knee and then then neurology 
where those are in relation to each other is important when you look at what your opponents have. So I had a, a guy that I knew was in second place. He was right behind me. And the last round, he we drew an orange cube uh, on cardiology, which he had. I didn't have. Sorry, this wasn't the last round. This is actually the fifth round. He drew two orange cubes on cardiology. Um, so won that round and won the previous round. And I knew he was going to take it. But I was behind. I was in front of him in turn order. And I didn't have cardiology. In fact, I didn't have uh, ophthalmology, which was down below that. I did have psychology, but my queue was already full. You can only have four people sitting in your pre-admissions area. So my only choice here, really, if I wanted to get those two cubes out of the queue, was to take them and put them in a cardiology pre-admissions area. Um, and so I did that. And, and I should mention here, one of the things that you can do to screw with people is when you're taking these patients, you don't have to just take them off of the queue and put them into your pre-admissions area. You can move them around. So with each each exit you have, that determines how many cubes you can do something to on the board. So if I have three exits, I'm going to get three moves plus one. You always get a free one. Uh, and with that, I could take four patients or I could take three patients and move one to an adjacent queue. So I could take that cardio cardiology pa patient and move it down to the ophthalmology queue. So I ended up taking both of those and I could tell, I mean, he knew what I was doing and I obviously knew what I was doing and uh, it, it ruined his chance to pull in $20 per patient. And more importantly, if I let those sit around, which I had to do because I didn't have cardiology, um, they were going to be red patients the next turn. And so that would have been 64 points. And if you divide that by the three points it costs to buy or $3 it costs to buy points, that is what, 20, uh, 26 points? Yeah, um, so $64 divided by three, call it yeah, 20. 20-ish, 20-ish. Yeah. Um, so that's a lot of points. I couldn't let him have those points and still win the game. Anyway, that was the fifth round, and he knew that he had screwed me over, uh, and or that I had screwed him over. The next round came, and as I, I said earlier, you can only buy one of each type of service hub per round <laughs> and i needed to cardiology <laughs> and i needed cardiology and uh the first thing i wasn't I wasn't even thinking about this i thought well he's already got cardiology he's not going to buy that well he bought the cardiology just so that i could not treat those patients who had now turned red and then at the end of this round those two red patients died in my pre-admissions area so touche sir touche oh it was it was a killer a killer two rounds there because I thought I had gotten him and he got me. Um, but the point of that example is to show the way that you really have to be looking at what other players are doing. Look at what they have and what patients are out there. And a lot of times you want to be able to take what they need just so that they can't have it. And at the same time, don't screw yourself over. It's, it's like a lot of efficiency euros where you're building your engine and you want to be able to throw sand in somebody else's engine just enough that it throws them off a turn or two without really taking you out of your own strategy. If you're just trying to block other players, you're not going to get what you need and you're going to end up like me and have red patients dying in the hallways. <laughs> so do so do things that hurt your opponents as long as they also help you. Don't do it just out of spite. Moral of the story. Yep. Or have a plan to, to mitigate it. So one of the, the great modules in this game is i think it's called the outpatient center um the idea with that is you can treat any patient with any doctor for six dollars so you're making nothing on it and we just refer to that as the screw you room because that's where you take cubes that somebody else needs that you can't even treat and you're just going to get six dollars for them 
which is barely enough to pay the upkeep cost on that room and the doctor treating. However, or it's a get out of jail, like, oh no, I put myself in a hole. I can't, oh, I'm not going to be able to treat them. I better be able to get this. Oh, hey, I can I can alleviate me losing the points type thing. So mm-hmm. it's a, a room of last resort. Again, yep. trying to spin it positively <laughs> in that regard. Um, another thing to talk about here that uh, that is enjoyable is we were talking about how, you know, there's not a super huge amount of interaction in this game, but the... Uh, as you put it, rock, paper, scissors aspect of the action selection. So there are three different actions in this game, right? There is the the building, there is the hiring, and then there is admissions. So you might think, wow, you know, I'm just going to admit a whole bunch of patients and that's that. Well, you need to build infrastructure and then you got to hire people to be able to treat those patients. And the order in which you do those things isn't always going to be as straightforward as you might think. So you Every player is going to be, be, you know, moving to the beat of their own drum and then trying to anticipate what everyone is going to do along with the way turn order works. Just because I go before JT in a given uh, round, if he builds and I'm not building, someone else is building, then He's not going before me. His building's going to be done before me because it goes left or right. So building, then hiring, then admitting. And so turn order is within each of those three actions in that specific order. And trying to anticipate what everyone is going to do and when they're going to do it. Uh, pretty, pretty clever little, I know that you know that I know that you know mechanism that I really, really enjoy. Right. And there's there's times where you'll both reveal your action. You have these little action tiles that you choose one secretly and then you reveal them and you reveal them at the same time and, and you'll see your opponent think, oh, he's going to take those patients I need. And then there's times where you think I'm going to take patients here because I need patients this round. But the ones that are out there right now are not that good. But I can't let, you know, I'm competing with, with patients for this other guy. And if if he takes him this turn, there's going to be even fewer that I have to choose from next turn. And then you, you reveal it and there's patience and your, your opponent is building something and you think, are you kidding me? And then the, out of the bag will come some really good patience the next round. Um, so that is it's it's a fun it's a fun aspect of the game trying to read, like you said, everybody's poker face and see what they're doing. And game state. I mean, it's it's open information. I mean, everything is there except what action it is they're going to choose. And they might see their priorities differently than you do. But it's your job to play from the point of view of all the players in the game to try and anticipate so that you can, you know, not cut your nose off to spite your face, but also maximize what it is that you're trying to do. So it's, yeah, I, I really love that aspect of clinic. Yep. One of the other things that I wanted to touch on that I really have enjoyed about this game, and, and maybe I'm wrong and maybe I'll learn this with more plays, but I feel like a lot of the strategies that you can use are very well balanced. Um, I have played this game a number of different ways. I have tried to minimize the number of treatment rooms I have and minimize the number of doctors and train those doctors using the lab. There's one module you can use called the lab where you, if you park a doctor in that lab, instead of degrading at the end of your turn, they'll actually increase two levels. So you're a white doctor. They're studying, right? That makes yeah. sense. They're getting better. 
and they're publishing papers and that actually gives you a prestige point. So I've tried that to minimize my expenses and just maximize um, the the amount of treatment I can do with each doctor per dollar. So I try and only have very expensive cubes and I, I don't need a lot of money for upkeep because I'm trying to keep my footprint small. I've tried to build you know, larger clinics. I've built up high. I've built three buildings. Uh, one of my favorite strategies is to to build two. There's a, geog- a geometry you can use where you can have um, your greenery tiles uh, border on two different treatment rooms. And so you can maximize treatment based on where you put your greenery. Um, I, I think there's a lot of room in the geometry of how you space things to explore in this game. And I haven't found one that works best all the time. And that's awesome, right? I mean, that's what you want. You want you want it to change based on the game state and not always, oh, definitively, no matter what, this is ideally how you want to build it. And I think that's that's a credit to the game. And that's that's only going to add to replayability there. Yep. And as we said, it changes your 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 building is going to change based on what happens in the game. Maybe I just wanted to do psychology and broken knees at the beginning of the game, but then all of a sudden I see a couple orange patients come out on a on a queue for ophthalmology, and I go, I have to take those. I've got turn order. I'm the one that can take those. So if I don't take them now and find a way to treat them, I'm giving up a ton of points. And so there are a lot of decisions to be made in a tactical area. The other thing that I think is really interesting about this game is the special modules that you have. Um, we, I talked about the lab already that lets you train doctors up. Uh, there is one uh, called the triage center that every turn lets you have three movement points for free. So you are, are able to move doctors through rooms or patients through rooms, th- at least three of those for free. Um, there is the outpatient center, which lets you treat any patient and get $6 for it. And then there is the surgical center, which is, uh, if it's attached to a service hub, it acts just like a treatment room, uh, except it has a built-in nurse. So it's a nurse you don't have to pay. Um, And that one has a weird rule about the upkeep, I think is $3 if you treat someone, but only a dollar if you don't treat anyone, Uh, which is, I'm not sure why that rule is there, but I'm sure it's there for a reason. Anyway, I think when I first started playing this game, I felt like the lab was overpowered. I thought, how can you win this game without a lab? Because your doctor's just degrading. You have no way to make him better. But then you start thinking about the efficiency of the dollars you spend and the time that it takes to use the lab. Every time you use the lab, you're pulling a doctor out of rotation. And that doctor is not treating anyone. And not only are you going to be paying their salary that turn, you're going to be paying a more expensive salary the next turn. So a white doctor is $1, yellow is 2 uh, orange is 3 and so on. So you're... you're I, increasing your upkeep without treating any patients. And you're also paying the, the cost every turn on that lab. You're paying a dollar of upkeep for that. So at the end of the day, I'm not sure that that would even be an efficient room if it didn't also give you that point. Uh, I thought that's crazy that it it increases the, the abilities of your doctor and gives you a point. But then when you really look at it and think about the math, it makes sense. And you realize it's not overpowered. And I've won plenty of games without using the lab at all. Um, so it's it's... I think it's one of those things where at the beginning you think, oh, this is overpowered. This strategy definitely works best. Whoever won that game, you look at their geometry that they've built with their clinic and you say, oh, that's definitely the way to do it. And then the next time you try it and it doesn't work. And then there's the whole, wow, three free steps every turn. 
how can you win without that? And and then you discover ways of yeah. I, I Alpin Viard is a math teacher by trade. So when it comes to balance and when it comes to things along that nature, I am absolutely willing to give him the benefit of the doubt when it comes to uh, designing games in that regard. Yep. And it's it's a big math. If you don't like math, this game is not really going to be your cup of tea, I think, unless you've got a calculator there with you. And to be honest, we all have our phones out when we're calculating revenue and paying our expenses because it's it can be a lot of things you're adding up. Yeah, it's but simple more, math, but there's a fair bit of it. Yeah. The more complex math comes into determining what is going to be the return on my investment for this dollar I spend. You know, if you buy a triage center during the first round, you're going to be shaving three movement points off of six rounds, which over the course of time is going to be six points, which is going to be worth, um, you know, 30 or $18. So you can kind of do the math and say, I'm going to spend this now. It's going to give me $18 by the end of the game. I'm going to have to pay $6 cause I've got to pay the upkeep on it every round. So it's going to bring it down to 12. And if I end up buying it in the third round, how does that math change? Is it worth buying at that point? And that you, you kind of have to do that math with every doctor you hire, every patient you bring in, um, and, and every aspect of this game, I think it all fits together in this kind of math efficiency puzzle to do it well. Oh, I was going to say, and that last little bit kind of saved you. Well, I was like, you don't have to, but yeah, if you want to do it well, you do. That's fair. <laughs> That's true. Uh, and, and let me just, the last thing I'll say here about the puzzle that I like, because it is the, the math puzzle, the geometry puzzle, the placement puzzle, trying to figure out what is the best move every round is just fascinating. The biggest headache you're going to have in this game is parking cars. Every doctor you hire, every patient you bring in, every nurse you hire brings with them one of those little tiny hard to handle black cars. And you have to have spaces on your board to park those cars. And you have to build parking lots and you have to upgrade those two car parking lots into three car parking lots. And I can't think of a single game I have played where I have not at some point forgotten to bring a car with me. And so I, I'm always counting the people in my my clinic and the number of cars and making sure that I didn't screw that up. Nope. And hand me a car. I'm one short. I forgot to bring one. Yep. Every time. But I'll tell you what, that is the, the biggest kick in the pants when you think, oh, I'm going to grab this orange cube and bring it over here into my pre-admission area. I don't have room for the car. Can't he just walk? <laughs> did, did Albin never hear of public transportation? Oh, <laughs> and, so frustrating. And on that note, though, you said you have to build parking lots. Hold on. You don't have to because there is what you might think of as plenty of on-street parking. But every time that you have a car that is on street, it blocks off that spot from being able to be built to be able to put a parallelogram, i.e. a module of some sort, into that area until that car leaves. Now, anybody that leaves, i.e. patients, can take any car that you wish just because they came in, you know, in that Hyundai, you know, they, they might leave with the Maserati, wherever. But... They still are going to take up spaces and you only have so much space to build. And yes, that is, it's an awesome puzzle that will make you cuss and cry and throw your arms up and just say terrible things about Albin and how much you love this game. Yep. <laughs> I think that, yeah, I agree. Yep. That's true. And and you, you touched on something there that was really 
important. Um, not only will you say in this game at one point, why did I build that there? You will say, why did I park that there? Because now I can't build what I want to build there. And man, that's frustrating. Yep. In and, a good way. Uh, point, take two thumbs and point them back at you because you're the one that did this. Yes, that <laughs> is, that's me the entire length of this game. So on the flip side, things that I'm uh, not super, super keen on. And again, while I don't have this problem, and we, we, we kind of beat this to death a little bit, but the thematic tie-ins, again, it's it's implied or it gives you the freedom to look at it however it is that you choose to look at it. And because it's not laid out specifically, some people are going to feel that there is a significant thematic disconnect. Like, why do my doctors get worse? Like, they're treating patients. They should be getting better. But when you actually stop and think about it, to me at least, it makes sense. But not everybody's going to feel that way. And you're going to hear when I get to some of the uh, comments and critiques about this that a lot of people or a number of people out there feel that it's not thematic whatsoever, whereas, as you can hear, JT and I feel quite the opposite. But there is that. Yeah, and I have uh, a good friend of our family who's been misdiagnosed for years, and, and it's taken them a long time to finally figure out what was wrong and causing her problems every day. And And I feel like if I had her play this game where we have it misdiagnose people and keep them sick so that we can keep charging them money. That might be something that just hits a little too close to home for some people. I think that's fair. I mean, I, I, we make jokes and, you know, we somewhat say it tongue in cheek about all of this, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's light. I mean, that's art imitating life in, in some respects, which might be a little, like you said, it's a little close to home. Mm-hmm. So my I think my biggest complaint with the game or the thing that I struggle with the most, at least, is the turn order mechanism in how it is tied to buying points. So the reason I think this is is great and awful at the same time, I say I have a love-hate relationship with it, is that it sometimes leads to this stall of buying points. And you'll get to that third round. And that's usually where things start to break. Someone will say, I don't know that I'm going to need all this money forever. Um, and they'll start buying some points. But uh, until then, you think, I am going to put everything I have back into my clinic. I'm not going to buy any points because there's no way I want to jump to the end of turn order. Um, but there is this mechanism with the turn order that if you're sitting there in a stack and that stack doesn't move, where everybody is, in other words, you're all lined up on the same point value and that point value doesn't move, then you rotate the stack. So the last place will go first. So you're watching that stack sometimes and thinking, okay, I just went first. Now I'm last. Now I might as well buy my points. And so it, it does give a bit of an advantage to the person who ends up at the right place in that stack by random chance at the beginning of the game. Um, you know, I, I wonder if there's a way you could do just bidding for turn order uh, to say where you want to go. If it's important that I go third so that I'm first in that third round or I want to go first in this first round and grab cardiology because I see some good patients. Um, I think there might be a more interesting way to do that. But I, I dislike games that disincentivize buying points or doing what you need to do to win because you lose your turn order spot. Power grid, stand up, be recognized, right? Yep. I and, mean, and that's, yeah. That For me, I'll be honest, that that's kind of my 
bugaboo when it comes to power grid. You either really like that mechanism or you really, really don't. And it, it very much holds uh, sway over this game as well. Yep. And, and for those who aren't familiar, Power Grid, I haven't played it in a couple of years, but there comes a, a point in the game where everybody is waiting for one person to, I believe, build that sixth city. And once that happens, then suddenly you can all build more than one city in an area. So it expands the map very uh, abruptly. And uh, the person who does that is going to go last. And the person who doesn't do that is going to be able to go first and buy up those spots that just opened up for relatively cheap um, and I feel that way sometimes here where I think, man, I've got $25 I just made. I don't know that I'm going to spend that all by the end of the game, but I don't want to buy points because then I will lose my spot in turn order. That just happens to be where it is in this stack of, of discs on the turn order track. So I have a hard time with that one. And to be honest with you, in a perfect world, and I, I think this is going to happen at some time in the near future, is I want to sit down and talk to Albin about that and find out why he made it the way he did specifically because like i said i feel like that is a very hard line that there's a clear delineation either you really like it or you really don't and i don't feel like there's a whole lot of wishy-washiness on that i say that but you also have a love-hate relationship with it so but yeah and i guess you know it's funny i say this now and here i am saying I think that's probably my biggest dislike, first and foremost, about this game is that turn order mechanism. And I can understand it as a way to prevent a, one, a runaway leader, but I don't think it works in this situation very well because if I have a lot of points in turn three, it means that I, if I, excuse me, if I have a lot of dollars in turn three, it means that I line things up for turn three to do well and I got a lot of money that turn. My turn four, five, and six might already stink because I have no good patients and my doctors are all degraded. Um, so the amount of money I make in one round is not really reflective of where I am, am standing overall in the game. So if I make that money before everybody else, then suddenly I have to buy points with it or lose that money. And it puts me at a disadvantage for the rest of the game for at least two more rounds. Yeah, so... I, yeah, I'm curious to hear the discussion about this aspect of the game. Uh, and I'm curious what people out there think that are experienced, whether it's with Power Grid or with Clinic, because even though it's not, you know, directly exactly the same mechanism, it the concept behind it is shared. And that, and yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to hear what folks out there uh, think on this. Um, so... What about the fact that uh, points don't scale or the cost for points, I should say, don't scale in this game? The uh, points cost the same in round one as they cost in round six. Yeah, I, I was thinking of this because of this turn order mechanism. If I buy points in round one, they are worth one. They, they cost me three dollars a piece. If I buy a point in round six, it costs me three dollars a piece. And the problem with that is that your money in those first few rounds is worth so much more to you than it is in the sixth round. In the sixth round, you're making 80 to a hundred dollars, hopefully in your treatment. And then you can buy all points with that. Um, whereas in that first round, buying a point is a big deal because that $3 is what you need to hire a nurse and your doctor next round. Yep. So, 
there's no way to buy that. I, I want to try this. I haven't had an opportunity to yet, but I'd like to see what happens if you start scaling the price of points with where you are in the round. So, I mean, a simple uh, variant would be that you pay a dollar per round per point. So in the sixth round, you'd be paying $6. What that would force you to do is really ramp up your treatment uh, and revenue each round in order to buy the same number of points. And would also, I think, reward people buying points early in the game without being penalized so much by just the turn order. You know, if I have nine extra dollars in that first round, well, shoot, I better buy nine points with that and take that turn order hit. Otherwise, you know, if I try That's to buy nine points- That's 54 bucks at the, in the last round of the game, right? Theoretically. Exactly, exactly. And I'd just like to see how that plays out. I haven't had an opportunity to do that, but I was trying to think of a way that I could, we could ameliorate the the downside of the turn order mechanism um, and still encourage people to buy points as a trade-off. So I don't know, I don't know if that would work or not, but I, I have a hard time with the idea that points are $3 at the beginning and $3 at the end. I guess I never stopped to think about it, but yeah, it's static. So... Whereas the income structure is drastically different. So that's an interesting thought. And I don't want to get too deep into the weeds here, but I have played exactly zero of the expansions. Um, and I don't want to go too deep into this, but uh, how much experience you have with those? So I've played a couple of them. Um, the base game, and this is going to be more under the list of things that I love about this game than things that I don't like. Uh, but I played a couple of them. And there are, I haven't gotten through all of them, but I think there are expansions that deal with a lot of different aspects of the game, but I haven't seen any that change the way points or turn order are scored, but I may be wrong. All right. So anything else that you're not uh, super keen on in clinic? Um, so there is this weird rule that says if you have no dollars to pay your upkeep or your doctors and nurses their salary at the end of the, the round you have to pay in points. And where you paid $3 for those points, then those points are paid out to the the, do, the excuse me the doctors and the nurses uh, for $1 a piece. So you're losing a lot of money if you have to end up paying points. But at the beginning of the game, the weird part of this rule is if you have no points, which is very likely in the first few rounds, and you run out of money, all of your bills are paid for you. And so I- Angel investor. What? <laughs> I've tried a strategy where I purposely didn't leave any money at the end of the first round to pay out in expenses. I, I just built and hired a doctor at the beginning of that, that round, um, in that first round, excuse me, and had no money to pay them. And then the next round, I just took patients because that's all you can do without any money. Um, I don't know that that gave me a great advantage. I don't remember if I won that game or not, but I thought it was a weird kind of gamey rule. And I know it's there probably to prevent people from just getting hammered by a bad decision in the first round, but it's a little weird. I think so. Uh, you know, that whole, oh, wow, I have completely put myself into a death spiral. I'm already out of the game. I think that's why it exists, but I don't think it's there to be exploited but leave it to gamers to figure that out that makes sense so now now, now i'm all curious about that huh yeah someone else out there tried and let me know if it works because uh i'm not sure that it does but who knows and this is one that we kind of already talked about but the there is interaction and i think there's meaningful interaction in this game but 
just like in a lot of ways, like uh, like I mentioned earlier with Indonesia, they, it, it, it's a pretty heads down uh, second half of each of the rounds to where, again, it's like that operations in Indonesia to where it's just, I'm not going to say it's rote because there are some decisions to be made. Do I treat this patient? Do I not? Just because I can doesn't mean I want to. Do I, you know, so there are decisions to be made there, but it's all head down decisions. It's all okay. In my own universe, within my own clinic, there's no, you know, I'm not worried about whether or not you are treating your patients or not that type thing outside of you can make the argument, oh, that's going to give them more money. So are they going to buy more points? But I, I feel like when you start thinking about it that way, I feel like you're a little bit far in the weeds on that. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it's not just that it's, it's heads down. It's that it's a really a lack of interesting decisions that you're making during those last two rounds. It's, or excuse me, during that last half of each round, um, you do get the reward of the payoff, but it is just a lot of calculating your costs, calculating your upkeep and your salaries, paying those out. You do have to make that really important decision as, as to whether you're going to buy points or not. And that is done in, in reverse turnover. So you're looking at what other players are doing there. But then you kind of put your head down again. And there's a lot of really administrative steps for uh, refreshing the board that you just have to go through. And so it can be a little bit tedious and a little bit take you out of the theme of the game. But um well, that's all I have to say about it. No, no. <laughs> and it's funny. Like, these exact words are exactly how I feel about one of the most beloved splatter games out there, which is Indonesia, about that aspect of it. And I keep bringing that up because that bothers some people. Hi, I'm raising my hand. And there are others that it doesn't. And so just be aware of that that's out there. Yep. One of the other oddities that I, I dislike in this game, uh, and I'm sure that it's a feature, but I'm not sure that it's one that that always makes the game more fun. And that's the way that you refresh the, the patient queue. So the way, if you look on the board that you're going to refresh that patient queue is you take your turn, you take your actions, and then you'll bring out new patients. So you get to see what's coming out. And then you'll take a turn and you'll put out new patients. And then you'll take your third and final turn of the round and then you'll bring out new patients. And then part of the upkeep administrative phase at the end of the game is you take the first patient in each row, so the next one to be selected, and you throw them back in the bag. And so you are, you're adding patients, adding patients, adding patients, but then you remove patients. And what that does is it means that you have fewer patients available in the queue during that first turn of the round. So it, it, it disincentivizes people from doing a a admit patients action during the first turn because um, unless there's some some really good cubes that are out there, there's not going to be as many cubes. Uh, and this is really plays a, a factor later in the game during round six and round five where you should have a lot of your doctors hired and you should have a pretty good infrastructure built up and now you need to make sure you have good patients. And for the players that don't have patients that they're letting get sicker in their pre-admissions area, they're really desperate for those cubes. And I haven't had a game yet where in that sixth round, the cubes are, there are any cubes left in that queue. It seems like everybody is starving for those cubes. Um, and it adds, um, I think, some scarcity to the game that is not always a rewarding feeling. It does reward people who have planned ahead, but not everybody can plan ahead and have a bunch of cubes they've been, been playing. I wish that there were 
more cubes available uh, in that patient queue in the sixth round so that you could balance people who had long-term plan with people who were maybe getting a, a more even salary throughout the game. I think that's a fair critique. I, I, you're not wrong because almost every game, like all the patients are gone at the end of the game. Um, and again, like you said, is that a feature? And is that a feature that is in benefit of the game? Yeah. One other thing that has, has kind of bothered me about this from a theoretical standpoint is how replayable the base game is by itself. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I've tried a bunch of different geometries of, of way things that are laid out, but is there is there a layout of your clinic that is going to be optimal? And is anything less than that optimal layout going to uh, not be something that's going to win the game? And I don't know the answer to that, but I just feel like maybe there there has to be some sort of optimal layout and, and eventually we're going to find it through playing. I, I purposely don't look on BGG to see what other people do because I don't want to know it if there is. Well, on the positive side, I'll play a little devil's advocate here is you've played the game, say, a dozen times, roughly, right? You figured out that optimal strategy yet? No, that but optimal I do. optimal layout? I do have a couple that I, I like. And so it, it makes me think, whereas when you start off playing the game, you feel like it's a big sandbox. You can build this the way anyway, this, this clinic any way you want. But you come to that same realization that you do playing Food Chain Magnate, where although you can hire anyone you want, there's only a couple good opening moves that really make sense. And there's a couple that if you make will just kill you for the rest of the game. Uh, this one isn't that extreme, but I think that there's probably – a couple different categories, at least, of arrangements for your clinic that you'll want to do. Either you're going to want to have, um, and I, I won't go into the strategies because I don't want to ruin them for anybody. But you know, the ones I've tried, like I said, is is really maximizing the greenery spaces with relative spacing uh, next to your your treatment rooms, um, having a low density kind of clinic that is very efficient. Um, treating a large number of patients and having maybe three or four service hubs. I've never done four successfully. I've only done three. Um, and then there is a really large incentive to have three different buildings. So if you're going to only have two buildings or one building, you better be making a lot of money off of it because that's going to be 16 points that you miss out that someone else will probably get. So I, I haven't found it yet, but I think there's some broad ways of categorizing different layouts that uh, you've, that most of my games are going to fall into. But at the same time, though, isn't, I mean, couldn't you make that case for most any type of efficiency engine board games that, I mean, you look at, uh, and I'm trying to think back, uh, whenever I've gotten somebody that's pretty experienced uh, in a given game, like uh, you talk, uh, you go back to the Great Western Trail discussion, that there are clear you know, things that you should and shouldn't be doing. And you mentioned Food Chain Magnate. And there, I mean, there are a host of other games in which there are a handful of certain strategies or directions or paths in which you want to be able to go, but then you're still needing to be able to, you know, pivot here and there based on what other players are doing. Isn't that what a lot of these, once you get into the higher level of where this game can be. And I don't necessarily see that as a negative in that, I mean, let's be honest. Yes, there are exceptions to this, but 
folks out there putting anywhere from a dozen to 20 plays of a game, that's a lot of plays of a game nowadays, right? A lot of, a lot of times it's, you know, a handful of plays and move on to the next game. So the fact that you're, you know, a dozen plays in and you're like, well, I feel like there's this, but even so you're limited to a, maybe a handful of different options, but you're still having to pivot and having to adjust based on what other players are doing. So I personally, I'm happy with that. I'm good with that. And I think I am too. That's why I say this is more of a theoretical complaint I have with the game because I haven't actually hit that wall. And you're totally right. If I've played it 12 times and and I haven't figured it out, I'm not sure that there is a a silver bullet kind of strategy. Or even if there is, you played it a dozen times. Did you get your money's worth? And again, I, I hate using that term worth, but did you find, did you get enough value from your investment in the game? And that's only talking about the base game. Then you have all the expansion modules. Right. And and I think for me that that's, I, I mean, I've definitely got my, my value out of it. And that's a whole nother discussion about how I would, in a clinic style way, get a return on investment <laughs> in dollars for a game. <laughs> right. Based on plays, though, yeah, I've certainly gotten my money's worth out of it. And uh, as I said, I think it's it's a complaint that's only theoretical at this point. And I don't I don't know that I would dissuade anyone from buying the game because after 25 plays you're still going to um, find it to be problematic if you don't treat it like a a totally open sandbox and i think it's only that uh, a complaint for people that come into this game thinking i can build whatever clinic i want and then realize well that's true your clinic might suck (laughs) right yeah theoretically you can however there are a handful of directions that you probably should focus in yeah. No. I, I. And again, that's not a critique of your critique. It's just, yeah. No. I think that's. I think that's a valid concern or a valid uh, thought there. But at the same time, it has to be done within a certain context of okay, where it doesn't plays into this, and here we are. Now, the other question uh that I have and this is kind of moving into scalability a little bit but when it comes into uh especially at the smaller player counts the number of players dictate the number of different types of service hubs that are available in the game and talking about limited replayability potentially for well there are only certain service hubs available in a given game based on that player count so it feels almost artificially limiting to some degree it does and it's it's one that's a problem i think is largely in my head because i everybody starts with the same service hub you start your board with a psychology service hub a treatment room and a supply room and so you've got one service center with a treatment room that's set up and ready to treat patients but everybody is the same um and i have wanted to experiment with this and have people start with different service hubs. I think what that would do is probably take away some of that initial clash for patients and that initial uh, kind of incentive to build your clinic and expand. If I could just treat my psychology patients and you can treat your cardiology patients during the first two rounds without having to worry about stealing the same patients or colliding, um, it probably takes a little bit of the teeth out of the game. Yeah, the tension gets removed, I I would Mm -hmm. think, right? Yeah, but you're right. It's always you always start with psychology. And and even though you could just name these service hubs service A, B, C, and D, there's no difference between treating a cardiology patient and a neurology patient. 
um, it, it does feel like you're missing something as the game scales down in players and you don't get to do anything with those those other uh, missing service types. Right. Um, so again, I I feel like a lot of our <laughs> negatives here are theoretical or things to be aware of and they're less issues that you and I specifically have with the game. Right. So each of these are are something that I have heard somebody say or I have said at some point. So uh, I played with somebody who said it kind of stinks that we all start off as psychology doctors. Um, so uh, while I don't find that to be a terrible problem in my own <laughs> gameplay, I can see that as being something that people would complain about, that unless you've got four players, you're never going to be able to have a neurology doctor. Right. So talking about scalability, how do you think the game scales? Because it does play solo up to four players. I actually think it scales pretty well. So f- when you start moving down the player counts uh, from four down to three down to two, the number of nurses, the number of doctors, and the number of patients that become available will scale down uh, linearly with that. You'll also have a, a reduced number of service hubs that are available. So as, as we were mentioning earlier, you'll have fewer types of patients that you can treat. Um, you'll also change the the makeup of the cubes and the doctors and the bags that you're drawing out of. So they will scale with the number of players. Um, and then finally, you'll have restrictions on the number of buildings that are available of each type. Uh, I think there, I think treatment rooms are available unlimitedly almost, but the other ones will scale down. So there's only, for instance, one service hub per type per player. Uh, so if he, my, my opponent takes a cardiology service hub and takes another one, then I'm out for the rest of the game, which uh, is a little bit less of a problem with larger player counts. I, I haven't seen a situation where we starved uh, one of those service types in a, in a four-player game, but I have seen that in a two-player game. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, because it's it's a... Uh yeah, it's a zero sum. Like it's it's you versus me. So if I'm if I'm depriving or if I'm taking, I'm depriving you, right? Yep. And that is what this game is about when you're playing it competitively. <laughs> Keep that in mind. So as a solitaire gamer, uh, well, I, I think I can include myself in that now. Um, how do you find this game? So I've had a really good time playing it solitaire. It's a great puzzle. I mean, if it's a good puzzle as a multiplayer, it's it's a lot like. Uh, those puzzles that you play from like a Rosenberg game where you're seeing resources pile up and you're trying to figure out when do I take these? How do I maximize the efficiency of each of my moves? Um, In this game, you want to make sure that you're taking patience when it makes sense that you're building. I I think here more than anything, it makes sense to to pre-plan your, your, your clinic, how you're going to lay it out because you won't have as many people trying to screw with you during the game. The game will still screw with you based on the patients that come out and the doctors, but um, there is less interaction, so you can plan things a little bit better. The other great thing about the, the solo game is that uh, at the end of the rule book, there are some goals that you have to meet. And so there's, uh, looks like, eight different endgame goals. And some of them are relatively easy. Some are pretty difficult, though. Uh, and you have to meet that goal and then total up your points to see how well you do. Um, so some of these goals are something like have seven doctors still on your player board. So that means you've got to be hiring a lot of doctors. And and it throws a wrinkle in the game 
to change the way you play because now you're forced into a, a scenario where you've got to buy a bunch of doctors and you have to use those efficiently. You got to be treating seven patients. Right. And it's not necessarily the way that you would play it necessarily. Right. It's not what I want to do. But if that's the way. okay. So, again, the game gives you lemons. Make your lemonade. And I think that helps keep it fresh and it helps keep the way you think about the game uh, it keeps you from railroading yourself and getting really, you know, on rails like, oh, this is how I'm going to do this. Like what you said, like, OK, I'm going to lay out my my stuff exactly like this because of the oh, uh, uh, oh, that's the goal. OK, never mind. I can't do that. Yep. And some of the goals are really fun to play with. So one of them is to build a service hub on the highest floor, which you're playing, which will be like the fourth floor, which is it's hard to build a, a good. <laughs> yeah, it is because you've got <laughs> Anytime you build a building, just like, I mean, you have to have something, you know, structurally below it. Can't just float up there on the fourth floor. There has to be something directly underneath and easier said than done. Yep. Uh, some of them are really kind of crazy. Like one is spend no more than 12 time net during the entire game, which is hard to do. Well, and, and we haven't even talked about conveyors, which are essentially people movers. Like they, they move in 90 degree angles, like, uh, uh, you know, from this one to this point and it saves time basically it's escalators and and people movers type things that you can add to your clinics yep and by the way just talking about conveyors for a second they seem to be i'm not sure how to say this but almost the negative of an efficient layout for your treatment rooms and your your greenery tiles because if you lay out your treatment room so you can share greenery tiles you've got to build a ton of conveyors to get that thing to work and I hate that. <laughs> it's it's like you can't have an efficiency in one area without giving up an efficiency in the other area. Well, there's a give and take, you say? Yeah. yeah. No. A painful one. A painful one. Yeah. That's that's another interesting part of the puzzle is not just that movement costs money, but where you put your your entrances relative to your treatment rooms, relative to your conveyors to spend as little movement point as possible. 12 is brutal. <laughs> and, and here's another one of them. It says have at least $200 at the end of the game. So you've saved $200 and at least zero popularity after the time penalty. So you, you have to somehow save $200 without losing any popularity. And then my favorite one is you have to treat six patients during the sixth round. They have to be two red, two orange, and two yellow. Because you have to you have to plan from the beginning of the game. How am I going to get those patients and be able to treat them at the end of the game? That one's that's, awesome. That's a lot of doctors and or a lot of nurses. Yep. And, wow. Yeah. And so it, not only that, but then it's it's factoring in, in your score and not just did I meet the goal, but then it's score on top of that. Right. Yep. So I've had a lot of fun with the the solitaire game. I've played it, like I said, about, I think six times now I've done six of those different, um, end game scoring objectives and, uh, had a lot of fun with it. Which do you enjoy more? Do you enjoy it multiplayer? Do you enjoy it more solo? Or I should say specific player count that if you have one that you prefer that, uh, I think my favorite player count is four players. Uh, there's just more going on. There's more people you have to pay attention to, and there's more opportunities to uh, mess with people. And there's more as that patient queue opens up, you have more options as far as moving different patients around up and down 
uh, to get the the cubes that you really want if you can get there first. I I I would rather play this multiplayer than I would solitaire, but I I really like the solitaire version too. All right, so I think I yeah, I think that that summed that up pretty well. All right, so um comments from uh bgg here i only have a handful we'll start with the big one here we go in this game players construct cynical hospitals where you hire doctors who each turn get one step worse at doing their jobs and take on patients who you leave to languish in their illness until they get more profitable to cure the interesting cornerstone of the game is the way you build out your hospital you have a tight grid, many different tiles, each with its own specific player uh, placement rules. You want to build in such a way that your meeples can walk across adjacent tile to tile efficiency, which excitingly counts tiles on floors directly above them and uh, below them, in addition to the normal direction, so i.e. 3D. You also have a hard limit on the number of employees and patients you can game, which depends on how many parking spaces you've built. There are so many original ideas in this game. It's really a fantastic work. However, it is very mathy. It's very unforgiving of mistakes. And a minutia of what can go where gets a little bit overwhelming in the context of everything else that's going on. It would have been nice for the game to include a tracker of some sort to keep an eye on your ever-increasing upkeep costs versus your projected income. The graphic design has a few issues as well. Overall, great experience, but largely a multiplayer solitaire puzzle that is just a little bit too complicated and just a little bit too long. I think there's validity in in a lot of what was said there, but I I, I don't I, I at no point have I ever felt that this game is too long. Me neither, uh, and I think that it's a multiplayer solitaire puzzle. The first time or two you play it, but as you get deeper into the game and the strategy, I think that concern goes away and it is going to be too complicated for some people yes it's a heavy game right agreed this is theme hospital the board game you'll be building your own hospital making sure you're able to afford your staff and the upkeep of the building however have enough space to park the core the cars and of course get as many patients to pay you for your services the rules aren't too complicated but this game is a brain burner to play right it's very puzzly and i love the 3D element. Solo play is a mix between choosing a goal to reach and beating your own high score. Normally, I'm not a fan of the latter, but in this case, it works because it really reminds me of the simulation and city building video games of the 90s. And with the expansions, there's plenty of content to keep you busy for a long time. I do want to touch on the expansion uh, when we're done with the comments, but because I think that there is something important to say about the way those were done. All right. Interesting spatial puzzle to creating your hospital with an eye to efficiency and making sure your staff don't have to travel too far to treat patients. Combined with the management of turn order, recruiting of staff and admitting patients to the hospital, it can make the guess of what the other players are doing interesting and frustrating. In other words, a good game. <laughs> I agree with all of that. Yeah. And lastly, this is exactly what I'm looking for in a Euro game. Build stuff that matters in the logistic puzzle that follows. Fantastic game. Agree. Yeah, there you go. All right. So you wanted to touch on some of the expansion stuff. Go for it. So 
I don't know that I want to talk about each of the individual expansions because there are, I think, 19 of them. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 17 of them. Okay, plus the COVID one that came in after the fact that's its own standalone one that he did to generate uh, income for uh, that he could donate uh, to COVID research. So kudos to Albin on that. I did want to mention that while we're talking expansions. Go for it. Yeah, and that's a cooperative expansion, which I think will change the game quite a bit. I haven't really looked into the rules of that, but I, I ordered it. Um, so my group will enjoy that and, and juxtapose that with the fact that we finished pandemic season one, just as word of COVID-19 was coming out of China. <laughs> It'll be a nice bookend, hopefully to this scenario. All right. Anyway, uh, the way that the, the expansions are organized in the base game, you get four different expansions and then the expansion box comes with another 13. And these are small modular expansions that usually add one element to the game and they completely change the way you play for the most part. And I wanted to touch on just a couple of them that I think were really interesting. One of them, you have a card that you draw and a number of cards that you've drawn. And this is one of them that I've played with and they have a representation of your player board and then blocks on it to show where you need to build. And if you can build your clinic so that it fits that geometric goal, (laughs) if you build the way that it says you should build, um, then you get points for that. And that I I think is, is awesome because if you ever went into a game thinking, this is how I want to build my clinic, uh, not now as I do, now you've suddenly got some choices that force you into some weird things and trying different strategies. So that one is great. Um, Another one that comes with the game that we've tried is the blood transfusion. Uh, You can actually layer your patients down and and you draw these little drops of blood, these little wooden drops of blood that came with the game. And then instead of uh, treating a patient, you can give them a blood transfusion, which means you can score the points for that patient and then they stay in your hospital. So it's a way of keeping patients around. Um, another one that we played that is a little not cynical at all. Nope. Uh, uh, nope. Just going to keep that income train running. Nope. Just just pump some more blood in them. Uh, (laughs) anyway, another one that's a little weird is the fire extinguishers. And I don't know why they chose fire extinguishers for this, but you put them on the board and, uh, on, on different spots on your board. And they're just so interesting that every time a doctor or patient walks by them, they have to stop. And look at them. And it costs you, I think, extra movement points uh, or expect an additional time point as you move through gawking at this fire extinguisher, which is really uh, kind of a weird thing. But it changes the way that you would set up a, a game if you've got these on your board and you've got to now move around them so that you're not walking by and just gawking at the fire extinguisher. And, and they are little custom meeples or whatever, or you could just call them, you know, cultural art pieces. Yep. Uh, Some of the others that come in the expansion set, uh, there's a virus. There are zombie doctors, which are awesome. The zombie doctors are walking around and and they can't, if you end a turn with a zombie doctor, with a patient or a doctor, I think, I think that they die or they become a zombie doctor. I I can't remember exactly, but um, that one's really interesting. Uh, You have ambulances, you have janitors, you have um, a fourth floor that you can add. Anyway, The point I want to make with these expansions is I think that they've done it in the way that I love to see expansions done. They give you a bunch of different modules that you can plug into the game to change fundamentally the way it's played. And you can mix and match these as much as you want. And Um, super low rules overhead for any given one. 
Yeah, we're talking like one column of text. So you can, if you're familiar with the game, you can take two minutes and explain how this works and throw it in the game. And you can add two or three of them if you want. Uh, it's a very similar to my other favorite business simulation game, Food Chain Magnate, and the Ketchup expansion, where you've got a bunch of different modules, 19 different expansions, and you can throw one or two of them in. You can throw three of them in. You can, pl- I mean, that's 19 different ways to play the game. And if I've gotten 12 plays out of this game with just the base game, could I get another 10 out of each of these expansions? Probably. And and you know I'm just a big dumb marine, but I think that's uh, I think that's exponential or factorial. I think it's called right. So like, you if you you have you know nearly infinite different combinations of different ways that you could play the game, and yeah, I the fact that realistically you're not going to throw all 17 expansions into one game. I think that's <laughs> comical, but to throw one, two, or three in there seems reasonable and which ones you choose you could either choose you could roll a die you could do whatever you want everybody pick what one you want to play with tonight and it completely changes the game i love the idea uh anything i i'm big on modular uh just expansions just because this one i think yeah i always want to play with this one but these others mix and match and it just it changes the game, puts it on its ear enough to where all of those things that we talked about, the theoretical, uh, is there a better way? Well, all of a sudden, I guess not. And yeah, that's, yeah, I I think that's awesome. And yeah. Yep. I mean, it takes the theoretical objections to replayability and makes them uh, a practical mathematical impossibility. There you go. All right. So um, you want to... Give a summary, good sir, being the guest. So of all of the games that I have played, there are a few things that I really enjoy uh, most about them. And and this is any game. And as I, I mentioned in the previous podcast, this is games that have a puzzle you need to solve that force you to build something that gives you some satisfaction at the end of the game that uh, force you really to make difficult decisions on each of your turns. Um but also have the opportunity for other players to get involved with what you're doing in a negative way, um, to have some negative player interaction, but not so much that it can destroy what you're doing. Um, This is what I find most fascinating about Clinic, is it takes all of those things that I love about a game and puts them all together into a very thematic puzzle that every time I have played, I have come away uh, satisfied with what I've built, even if I didn't win. And I think that that's a a rare thing in games where you can walk away from a game that even when you play poorly, uh, you still have both fun and a sense of satisfaction and achievement after playing it. I feel that Clinic rewards you for finding the theme in the game that's there without too big of a reach. And on that note, as I game more and I get further into this hobby, I find that I do kind of want more theme well integrated into my game. And I feel like clinic does an amazingly good job with that. On that note though, I also have always, and this remains true to this day. I love games that aren't perfectly developed and this isn't a slight to clinic. 
I like my rough edges. I like my little things that it could have been sanded off to make it just that little bit smoother. But there's that just little bit of me that just craves those rough edges. And I feel like Clinic has just the right amount of those paired up in just the right way, in just the right spots, that it scratches an itch that I don't necessarily know I have until I play the game. Clinic, honestly, is not going to be a game that I am ever going to be like, you know what I can't wait to play today is Clinic. But every time I do end up getting it off the shelf, somebody says, hey, I want to play Clinic. And I'm like, okay, let's bust that out. At the end of that game, it ends up being one of those games to where I'm like, why don't we play this more? That was really, really good. And it plays in a shorter time period than you would expect it to play. And so, yeah, uh, that's the hallmark of a really good game in my book. True. So we rate on a one to six scale. One is burn it with fire. Don't you dare even give it away because damn you. Uh, up to a six, which is a Hall of Fame game. There's no half numbers. There's no two and a half, three and a half, none of that crap. It's either, you know, it's whatever number it is. So with that said, good sir, where would you rate Clinic for you? So as I have gamed more in my life, I become more stingy with my ratings. When I first started gaming, everything was a 10, because why would I buy a game that wasn't a 10, right? Or a six in this case. And... Uh, and you'll see that on my BGG rankings that the games that I bought early in my gaming career are all very highly rated. And they were all actually very good games, so I, I don't feel too bad about yeah, that. Yeah, seriously. Go back and listen to last episode <laughs> to the stuff you started with. And I'm like, classic, 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 classic. Okay, yeah, all right. Yep. So they, I think they were all highly rated both because they were all I had and because they actually were great games. So I maybe spoiled myself. But as space on my shelves has become more a premium uh i get a little bit more selective with with how i rate games and and determine if i'm going to keep them so for me on the the bg or excuse me on the heavy cardboard scale of four is a game that i want in my collection that uh, is going to stay there a five is a fantastic game that we're going to play often and then i have a handful of sixes so it's it's really going to be structured like a pyramid i rank clinic with the expansion uh, as a five. Now, if it were just clinic the base game without the expansion, it, I think I would still have it as a five, but it would be closer to a four just because, um, as I said, I worry about it maybe getting a little bit samey. But man, with even just the expansions that come in the base game itself, those four, I think that bumps it up to a game that I can play 25, 30 times and not get tired of it. So I would solidly give what comes in that base box a five. I hate whenever I have the same number as whoever my guest host is. But yeah, no, um, I'll be honest. I've never played any of the expansions. I haven't played the game enough to feel that the game has felt samey yet. But I'm probably at, you know, about half the plays that you are on that. But with that said, the reason for me giving it a five is isn't because it's a game that I'm going to always want to pull off my shelf. But Every single time that I have played it, it's felt like a rewarding experience. And it's it's frustrating due to my lack of spatial spacing and everything there. That's a me thing. But 
it just it just feels good when okay at your when you're done hey look at what i built hey i did this uh-huh yeah um and to be honest with you the only thing for me that really is a bit of a gives me a pause is to do i want this to be a four or should it be a four i should say or should it be a five not a where do i want it to be because i try and do this obviously it's subjective but i try and come at it from an objective point of view that where do i think this game should be not where i want it to be and the only thing that has me pushing it a little bit towards a four is that whole stalling you know for turn order mechanism is my only thing that really kind of sticks in my craw a little bit but not enough that like i i think power grid's an amazing game even with that aspect of it so if i'm not going to ding that then i feel like i shouldn't hear ergo it's a five i agree um the the things that we nitpicked in this I don't think are enough to take away from the unique experience that clinic gives you when you play it. I don't have any, any other games in my collection that work the way this does. Um, you know, Agricola, you feel similar in, in that you're building a, a grid of stuff on your board, but I don't get that same kind of business simulation feel from anything else that also has this geographic or geometric kind of puzzle involved. I think that's a really well done connect con- combination in this game. And even though I struggle with it and I joke and say I hate the 3D aspect of this game, it makes my brain exercise in a way that a lot of games don't. Yep. So And and the greatest compliment I can give to Clinic is that when my friends go home and we finish the game, I will sit up for another half hour and look at my board and think about what I could have done differently and come up with a strategy for next time. It's hard to shut my brain off after you play Clinic. There you go. And that is our review of Albin Viard's Clinic Deluxe. So, all right. Uh, that's a wrap. That's uh, two episodes. Well done, JT. Thanks for coming on, dude. You bet. I, uh, I As I said in the last podcast, half, uh, I enjoy talking about what I like about a game. We, we'll get done with the games that we play and we'll do a little like fake heavy cardboard round table and just say, what did we like about this? What, what do we want to try next time? Is it worth playing again? Um, and try and explore that game space a little bit. So this is an awesome avenue to be able to do that. Well, I'm, I'm certainly, uh, certainly glad you did. And you're, uh, you're hopefully going to come back because I think there's going to be a number of games that you and I uh, should explore and not necessarily that, you know, both of us are in love with, but that I think uh, one of us, uh, has you know a fair amount of uh, experience with so hopefully you come back man certainly so that's a wrap and thanks everybody for listening if you did enjoy the episode uh and you enjoyed jt on here let let us know uh either go on to heavycardboard.com leave a comment there leave a review over on itunes wherever it is you listen to your podcast shoot me an email over on contact at heavycardboard.com or hit me up on Twitter at Heavy Cardboard. So, JT, tell everybody uh, your BGG name. Bergstro, without the M at the end. So, JT Bergstrom, but just Bergstro. All right. Easy enough. All right. 
So be back uh, next week with something podcasty. We'll figure it out then. Thanks everybody for listening. Stay safe. Be kind to one another. Wear your mask, social distance, do all that thing, all those things. And I'm really sad to learn today that the Pac-12 has, for all intents and purposes, canceled college football for the year. That why? is what happens when you let lawyers be in charge of everything. Why? Why? Why can't I have nice things? My Ducks were going to be world beaters this year. Um, My Reds okay. probably going to make the playoffs. Theoretically, if the bullpen can ever pull it together. Canucks are up and coming. My Cowboys are going to be one of the best teams in the NFL. 2020's got a sick sense of humor, dude. Oh. Well, my Utes demand a rematch with your Ducks. So. <laughs> oh, I I cannot wait. Well, it was it was going to be the last game of the year for both yep. of us this year, but not now. Take care. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Screw you, 2020. For real.